Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Now the depth is back, and going into the season right now, even without Vladimir Tarasenko, you have a sure-to-be 25-30 to 30 goal scorer on your roster with another 25-35 to 35 goal scorer coming back in a month at least. So on paper, this team is much better than what they were last season, and frankly, this was a move that had to be done if you wanted to compete in this division. Alongside Jeremy Rutherford, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESP. And that was Alex Ferrario as a guest on his own show yesterday. Thrilled to have our guy Jeremy Rutherford in for the three hours today. Let's start with Mike Hoffman. Because JR, I have to get your thoughts on... It's very rare that something like this happens. Where you've got a guy that makes all the sense in the world. Because of the hole that the Blues currently have on that top line with Vladimir Tarasenko being out. And then it just all comes together. It's like, okay, well, Alex Steen has decided to call it a career. They now suddenly have about $4 million that opens up. And look at, there's a guy out there that's a 25-goal scorer, 30-goal scorer that hasn't signed anywhere because of this weird offseason. And you get him in a week before training camp, and now he's suddenly a St. Louis Blue. What do you think Mike Hoffman means for the Blues in 2021? A lot, BK. It's a situation, you're right, where you're not surprised because there's been so much talk about it the past few weeks and months, but yet you are surprised when it works out. I think of uh, Paul Goldschmidt. So much talk about that making sense, and then uh, the Cardinals got him. Same situation with Mike Hoffman. The Blues need a top six for They need a guy who can score, especially with Tarasenko out, but even when Tarasenko comes back, I think they need a guy like Mike Hoffman. Doug Armstrong got some payroll flexibility with the retirement of Alexander Steen, some long-term injury money, and now he brings in Hoffman, which makes a ton of sense. The Blues last year finished the regular season 14th in goals per game. They were 21st, though, in shots per game, and if you look back at some of the numbers from last year, Schwartz, Shin, Perron, and Sanford were the only Blues forwards that had at least 15 goals on the year. I look at what Perron did last year, and it was incredible. I mean, it was amazing to see him score 25 goals in an individual season. I wonder if maybe it was a little too much to expect him to back that up with another 25-goal season. You're putting a lot of pressure on him to have to do that back-to-back seasons. And so one thing that I really love about the signing is it takes a little bit of that pressure off of Perron from having to be that guy again, being the focal point of the offense again the way that he was last year. I think there's going to be pressure on all these guys, don't get me wrong, but I think it does take the pressure off the group a little bit because this is a proven score, what, 65 goals the past couple years, 20 goals each of the last uh, six years, and his shooting percentage. I mean, I've watched some highlights the past couple days, BK. He can he can put it wherever he wants to in that net. So he's not Tarasenko, uh, but he's a guy who can pick his spot instant offense and I think when you put him in that lineup now it's legitimate now you have a situation where Shen can score you 26 28 Perron can do that 
Jaden Schwartz is capable. I thought Jaden Schwartz was a 30-goal scorer, you know, back in the day. I still think he's capable of that. So the Blues are never going to be a team where you have a guy who scores 50 and a bunch of guys who score 22, even though they have a Tarasenko. But now you just have so much more depth that I think it does uh, free up some of that pressure. So the Blues are seventh in the NHL and their odds right now to win the Stanley Cup, according to Vegas. Seventh in all of hockey. That is behind Colorado, Vegas, Tampa, Philly, Boston, and Toronto. They are currently tied with the Penguins and the Capitals. All of those three teams are 18 to 1 to win the Stanley Cup. Compared to where they were 72 hours ago, if you compare that to where they are right now, JR, how much better is this team realistically in terms of what the outlook is, not just for opening night, because that's not what the goal is, right? The team looked great last year going into opening night. We all liked what they were potentially going to be coming off of the cup. It was about what they were at the end of the year, and ultimately things wore down and there were injury concerns and the bubble. A lot went into what happened ultimately in the bubble for the Blues. But as you kind of project forward for this team, how do you think they set up compared to where they were a year ago? I think well. I, I like this team coming out of uh, the offseason, even without Alex Petrangelo, and that's going to be a big loss. I think that uh, you're going to see throughout the season what he meant, and I think most people know it, but I think now we're going to see it firsthand. Tory Krug, an unbelievable plan B. He's going to help fill some of that void. With Mike Hoffman, we have to keep in mind, this isn't a guy who's headed to the Hall of Fame. We don't want to leave the impression he's going to come in and, and pump in 40 uh, for the Blues, but what a, a signing like Mike Hoffman does is it adds to that depth as I mentioned, in the top six, and there's a triple trickle-down effect. So now you have Hoffman potentially playing on that left side with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. Does it push down a Zach Sanford to play with Tyler Bozak and Sammy Blay? You know, that's a pretty good-looking third line. So he's going to bring some offense. He's going to bring some depth. But most importantly, BK, you know what this does, and this is a, a cliche in sports, is it tells the locker room we want to win. And Doug Armstrong has been so good with that over the years. When he feels like this team needs something he goes out and gets it that was the obvious guy as we set off the top they got him and the room says let's go I love it because we're seeing that in baseball right now right the Padres their their general manager yesterday told their team I don't care what they're doing over in LA I don't care that they just won the World Series I don't care that everybody around you is telling you that's the best baseball team that they've seen assembled in maybe 20 years since the Yankees of the late 90s early 2000s I don't care their GM is basically telling the Padres, we can beat them. We can go head-to-head against that team, and we can be better than that team across town in L.A. I think that's kind of what we're seeing from Doug Armstrong. Yeah, I know Colorado's really good. I know Vegas is really good. I know there's going to be a lot of competition in our division, much less in the NHL as a whole. I don't care. We're going to give Vladdy Tarasenko back eventually. We're going to bring Mike Hoffman into the mix. We've got Schwartz and Shin, and Ryan O'Reilly's our new captain. I like what we've got in this locker room. And so you add a 30, 25, whatever he ends up being this year, goal scorer, and Mike Hoffman, It does. I, I do think that matters in terms of the attitude within that locker room. If you go into opening night and on that top line, it's Jordan Cairo. There's a lot of uncertainty there. Now, you hope that it works out great and he ends up having a fantastic season. But there's questions, right, as to what that production is going to look like on a night-in, night-out basis. I don't have a whole lot of questions about what Mike Hoffman's going to be. If you're on that top line and it's Thomas and Schwartz or Shen and Hoffman, that's really good. And then you drop down to that second line and you look at a bunch of veterans again. Okay, that's really good. 
I don't even know if Jordan Kyrou is going to be on the third line now. I wanted to ask you about this, JR, because I think Kyrou is one of the most fascinating stories going into the season because he's one of the very few young kids that they have right now that projects to be a really good player that's currently at the NHL level. What does this mean for him? I thought he was going to get top six forward minutes, and now it feels like that might not be the case anymore. Yeah, I think Jordan Cairo might be the one guy in St. Louis who looked at uh, Twitter, saw the uh, the news, and kind of dropped his shoulders. And this is a situation where this is going to be a big year for Jordan Cairo. I really do believe that he took a step last year. You saw some improvement in his all-around game. But, you know, the stakes are high. The division is tough. You got Vegas. You got Colorado. And Doug Armstrong, you talk about the word hope. Doug Armstrong has never been a hope for GM. Where you, where you, he puts himself in a situation where in a normal season that starts in October, come February, he's kicking himself because he didn't add, you know, something he wasn't guaranteed to have. You know, Jordan Cairo stepping up and filling that role. If you don't know, you need to go find some help. And he's done that here. So what does it mean for Jordan Cairo? You know, it doesn't look like he can fit his way into this lineup and then you talk about Tarasenko coming back I I think it's going to be tough for him but the only thing he can do show up every day practice hard show him that the all-around game is there and when he gets his chance play well they'll find a spot for you if you can play and it's just going to be a more limited opportunity for him right now 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show we are going to be joined by randy moeller of the florida panthers tv network he's going to join us coming up at noon to talk about mike hoffman a little bit further i want to ask him what hoffman was like down in florida because there are those stories that are out there about his time Uh, with Ottawa and how it ended and why he was traded ultimately I would love to know how he fit into that locker room down in Florida that's really to me the only question about the signing and I don't know how much it's even worth getting into but we'll ask him a little bit about that we'll do that coming up at noon the biggest story in sports yesterday was the San Diego Padres going all in on the 2021 season Tony Gwynn Jr. Padres TV analyst will join us coming up at 1230 to discuss that 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show between now and then coming up next though there's one difference in my mind between the St. Louis Cardinals and the San Diego Padres in terms of the way that they are building tell you what that is coming up on 101 ESPN this is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. People want to start with trading for Mookie Betts, trading for for Manny Machado, right? Padres now. They want to start with they signed Machado. They traded for Blake Snell. Why don't the Cardinals do that? The Cardinals don't have that that core that the Padres have. And until they get it, I'm okay with them not being super aggressive. But when you do recognize, like the Padres did, that we have the core, then you better be aggressive because that is the right time. So that was Anthony Stolter yesterday on the Fast Lane. I love my guy Stoltz. Love him. I think he's one of the best radio hosts but, in the country. But God, is he wrong on this? <laughs> I just, I, I totally disagree with him on this. And I... I think it's maybe a finer point than what I'm leading on there. The place where I disagree is that I think the Cardinals do have their core because the Padres, if you look at the way that they built this, if you want to call it the core, right, the the group of guys that they are building around currently, it wasn't like it was a bunch of drafting and developing. It was more kind of like the way that the Blues built their team, right? Yes, you have... Alex Petrangelo, who is homegrown, but you also bring in a lot of these guys that 
are able to eventually become a part of the the pieces that ultimately lead to the Stanley Cup. It's kind of the way the Padres are building. They traded a former first-round pick in Trey Turner, who is a tremendous player now for the Nationals, for Will Myers. They traded a former first-round pick in Hunter Renfro, who's an okay player, for Tommy Pham. They signed Eric Hosmer to a big-time deal. They signed Manny Machado in free agency. They traded James Shields to the White Sox for, at the time, a very young prospect in Fernando Tatis Jr. That's the part that the Cardinals have not done yet. The Cardinals have not been able to go out there and acquire the young up-and-coming player that comes through their system, that is cost-controlled, that ends up being a superstar. That's the missing piece. I don't care, though, how you get that piece. Whether he's already fully formed in the big leagues and you're looking at, like, Francisco Lindor or you're trading for a prospect that's cost-controlled, I don't care how you get him. But the Cardinals have the core. Paul DeYoung, Paul Goldschmidt, um, Jack Flaherty, Dylan Carlson. That That is your core. You, you've already built what the Padres had prior to basically getting, whether you want to call it Machado or Tatis, whatever. They're missing one more guy in that core. And that's what the Padres are building around right now. And that's why yesterday was so fun for them, for their fans, is that they're really going for it. In a time when nobody seems to want to go for it, the Padres are zigging while everybody else zags, everybody else going into cost-saving mode, and the Padres are like, okay, if everybody else is just going to go ahead and say, yeah, we're not interested in the 2021 season, we're going to take advantage then. And I I understand what the Cardinals are doing. I get that they need to get shed some of this salary, but just in terms of what Stalter was saying there, I actually disagree in terms of where they are in their life cycle. I think the Cardinals are really close to having that core settled and now whether it be this offseason or next, is exactly the time when I think they should be adding. Well, I'll start by saying I think you're both right. I, I don't think it's as cut and dry. I don't. And I think what happens in sports is you look at teams like the Padres or you look at teams like the Blues when they won it. Okay, what did they do? Let's, take, let's go back the last five or six years and see how they built it. And sometimes it might be a draft situation where a lot of them are draft picks. It might be a situation like the Blues where Doug Armstrong went out and got a Braden Shin. And then he traded a first-round pick and you know, a pile of garbage for Ryan O'Reilly. <laughs> And, uh, and and you bring in guys that way. I think the biggest thing, if you're a general manager, in terms of deciding whether to go for it or not, is being aware of what you have and what the window looks like. So, for example, you're the Padres. You, you have Tatis. You have Machado. Whether you got him through the draft and, and groomed him or you signed him in free agency, you have them. They fit perfectly with what you're trying to do, and now you're there. You're aware of, of who you are and, and what your competition is. You go out and get Snell, and now they have a great chance. But I just think it's different for, for different teams. Look, if Doug Armstrong would have just said, hey, we have Petrangelo, we got Robert Thomas coming up, we're going to be okay in a few years, then the Blues would not have won a Stanley Cup. They won the Stanley Cup because he was aggressive with some of these moves, probably the most aggressive GM you know, I've seen across the NHL and in a lot of sports and knowing what he has, knowing what he doesn't have and going out and finding it. And he, when he needs something like right now, right, they, they knew we need scoring punch. We need somebody, especially while Tarasenko is out. But even when he gets back, we need somebody that can put the puck in the net for us. Mike Hoffman's right there. We're going to figure this out. We're going to make it work salary cap wise. Right. And he goes and he makes that addition. The Cardinals, and I think this is the frustration from a lot of fans, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 309. Guys, it's not that hard. The Padres are moving forward. The Cardinals are stagnating in mediocrity built on their past success. 
I think that is the frustration for Cardinals fans right now as they look at a team, especially in this division, and they say to themselves, man, there is a real opportunity right in front of you. And if you're able to add a couple of pieces, it's not like you got to go out there and add the biggest pieces. They don't need Trevor Bauer or it, it would be nice, but they're not going to add George Springer to this mix. Just add a couple of nice pieces and you could really go out there next year and win 90 to 95 games given the division that you're in. But they're not going that route where Armstrong goes and he he gets the big piece that they're in need of. The Cardinals feel like they're just looking around like, OK, yeah, we're fine. We're, we're going to be OK here. We'll be 85, 90 wins and we'll make the playoffs and we'll figure it out from there. And I think that's where the frustration stems from. Yeah. and But the one thing and we just said it when we talked about all the guys that the Blues are going to count on next year, Shin, Perron, O'Reilly. Schwartz, all these guys. What I've witnessed with Doug Armstrong, and he has said this a number of times, is you know, when you when you build a team and you improve it, you're not improving it 15% of the time. You're improving it two, three percent each time. And so when he went out and and traded for Shen or signed David Perron in free agency, made the trade for Ryan O'Reilly, each time they got a little bit better. Sure, O'Reilly, they <laughs> got a lot better. Uh, but but I think that that's what the process is like. And then when you get to that point. Then you're able to say, okay, we can go get that guy that's going to help put us over the top. Where I also agree with Stalter is that I don't know that the Cardinals are that close. And 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 we talk about Goldschmidt, and and you know he's what early 30s. You know he's yeah, a guy 32. Yeah, with a few more years left on on the contract, definitely a guy who hey, you got him. That's a strong part of your foundation. Uh, he's a guy who hey, while you got him, go try to win now. DeYoung, I get uh, the the illness, uh, put him in a bad spot, but is he that guy? I don't know. Carlson, I watched him. He looks great, but I think that's still going to take some time. Like, if you're literally sitting down, I understand why you're saying he's part of the foundation and the big part of the future, but if you're saying he's the guy, one of the four guys that we need to go out and do it now because of him, you know, to me, he's just not there yet. And, of course, Flaherty uh, is tremendous. So I just look at that group, and, and I don't know that – they have it, and I think back to what I said about Doug Armstrong and his awareness. You know, do the Cardinals look at this situation and say we're just not quite there yet? Maybe, and then you get into a situation where I have to ask, okay, then what's the timeline? Right. You know, because you've got Paul Goldschmidt, who next year will be 33 years old. It's not a spring chicken anymore. Nope. You know, eventually you want to win while he is in his prime, and you've probably got two more years of that. Jack Flaherty, he's definitely part of this core, right? You said right. that's that's one of the guys. There For are no sure. questions about him. He has three years left on his contract, yep. and then he's a free agent. If the Cardinals kind of operate under their typical circumstances, I don't think they're going to be giving him what he's going to be deserving, which is $150-plus million on the open market potentially. So if they're not, they might be looking at potentially trading him going into that last year of his contract, which is 2023, which means you have two years left potentially of Jack Flaherty and it, this is where it starts to shrink right these windows okay if Paul Goldschmidt is a significant piece of this core if Jack Flaherty is a significant piece of his co- this core and we can all agree on those two being like the two definites right you know going into next year those guys are going to be a part of it well you're kind of looking at a two-year window with them Whereas with DeYoung and with Carlson, you're kind of looking more towards the future. So what's the timeline here? And this is what I get confused by because the Cardinals are unlike really almost any other team in baseball, not named the Yankees or the Dodgers, in that they don't go through life cycles. They're always here, right? They're always at this even line of 90 to 95 wins, which is good. 
all Cardinals fans should be appreciative of that. But it does make it a little bit more difficult in terms of, okay, when, when is the time to really kick it into high gear? Because if you don't do it here in the next year or two, I, I think you might miss this window. And then you're suddenly looking at, okay, well, we've got Carlson and maybe DeYoung makes good on it then. But who are the other pieces of the core in 2023, 2024? Now you're hoping again for Gorman. You're hoping again for Libertor. And it it just is this never-ending cycle that it feels like the Cardinals are stuck in right now. Yeah, it seems bizarre because the Cardinals don't typically go through something like this. But the fact is that they are. And, and I think when you look at this roster, things just aren't aligned right now. And they're never going to be perfectly aligned where the contracts and the prospects coming up all match perfectly and they're playing well. Unless you, know, you, unless you plan it that way. Yeah, That's the only way that it can work you that try way. To plan it that way but you're, you're planning on guys taking that next step and you're, you're planning on Harrison Bader being that guy that you can you know count on in center field and so now as I look at this roster it's just uh, things aren't aligned right now when you start forcing yourself to say okay so what's the timeline and okay well you only have this much left of Goldschmidt and you better hurry up because Flaherty could be gone in a couple years you know then you're pushing yourself into decisions to, that, that you probably shouldn't be making. I, I think that you have to have a, uh, a situation where it is coming together and you make this move because it makes sense because you have this guy. And, and so I think uh, that's difficult when you get into a situation where you're naming two or three guys that you have to win because of these guys. You can look at every Major League Baseball roster and there's two to three guys that you have to win now for, uh, but if you don't have it around them, I think you have to be realistic. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 314. Guys, the timeline is next offseason. Big dump of salaries. You can go get some bigger names like people are wanting right now. I don't mind a lay low this year if they are serious after that. I've said all along, that's 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 when I would go for it is next offseason. I, I think it's frustrating that you're looking around the NL Central right now and the Cubs are very clearly about to go into their down period. The Reds are everybody that's on the roster that makes any money. They're like, okay, yeah, include them in trade conversations. Go ahead and do that. The Pirates are just punting on next year entirely. And it's basically the Cardinals and the Brewers by default that are potentially going to be competing for this division. So it's a little frustrating that they're not doing more right, right. now, but I get it because that's the times that we're in. Next year's the year. Next year, you've got like six all-star shortstops that are going to be on the open market. You've got a lot of guys that are going to be potentially available. Carpenter's deal is off the books. Fowler's deal is off the books. Martinez deals off the books. Uh, Andrew Miller's off the books. Like $65 million that they're shedding from the payroll. That's the year. Then the question becomes, are they willing to actually do it? But you have they gotta to make do good. it. You have to do it. You have to show these fans because you have a lot of people listening right now who are saying, how long have we heard that? And and when it gets to that point, BK, they're not going to do it. So if you get to next offseason and the financial situation is like you're spelling out and they don't do it, everybody's got their hands up in the air. Here we go again. And that's that's when you start losing people. Yep. This offseason, you can explain it away very easily. Next year, the there aren't going to be excuses because the core is there that we're talking about, especially if Carlson and DeYoung have good seasons. Well, now you've solidified the four, right? The, the group of four that you're really building around. And if you don't go all in or at least mostly in on that group, there's going to be some really difficult questions that have to be asked and answers that I don't know that they want to answer. 
He's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for bet it or forget it, including bet it or forget it, Mike Hoffman scores at least 25 goals in this upcoming season. We'll get into that coming up on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets him up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. Jeremy Rutherford, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Let's start with this one, JR. Mike Hoffman, bet it or forget it, will score at least 25 goals this season. Let me amend this a little bit because, of course, they're not playing a full schedule this year. Yeah. <laughs> so let's pro That'd be pretty this. good. Mike Hoffman scores at least 15 goals this upcoming season. Yeah, 25 and 56. That's uh, that's be, quite a fine. It'd be a hell of a year. Yeah, no, 15. I think he will. I think that uh, playing on a line, it looks like, with uh, Ryan O'Reilly and, and David Prawn, they've got a ton of chemistry. You think he's going to be on that line? I, I think there's a good chance. I know people around town have been talking about, you know, different lines. I just think that Hoffman, you know, he's not necessarily a 200-foot uh, player by any stretch. And, and so you put him with a guy like O'Reilly who's really responsible. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Will he score 15? Look, a lot of his stuff comes on the power play. You know, he scores five on five. But uh, BK, the last five years, Mike Hoffman has 58 power play goals. That's the fourth most in the NHL in the last five years. He gets a lot of his his uh, goals on the power play. Where is he going to fit on this power play? Obviously somewhere, but the Blues had a pretty good unit last year. Third yeah. in the league, Schwartz, Shen, Perron, Pareko, Krug. He'll find his way somewhere on there. But where and how long will it take to find some chemistry? Uh, so if he can get the power play production, I think 15 is no problem. Man, with him, Tarasenko potentially, fingers crossed, at some point this year, and then Perron as well, and adding Krug into the mix, Pareko with the shot, that's that's a hell of a power play. Like two units, really, right there. You could split those guys up a little bit and run two units with those guys. How'd you like to be Jim Montgomery? He gets back into coaching with the St. Louis Blues. Uh, he's going to take over this power play, and that's the lineup that you have. Yeah, it, it'd be pretty nice, right? It'd be like it'd be the, being the hitting coach for the Dodgers last year. It's like, <laughs> okay, what do you want me to do? I don't know. Go up there. You know your approach. Like, it'd just be great. I don't. It's it's amazing. I'm going to take the over on this. I'm going to go ahead and bet it. Mike Hoffman scores at least 15 goals because why not? He's going to be put into a great role. We know what Ryan O'Reilly does for those guys that are on his wing. We saw it last year. I fully anticipate a really good season for Mike Hoffman here with the Blues. All right, next one up. Bet it or forget it. JR, I want a football take from you. Bet it or forget it. The Buffalo Bills will play in the AFC championship game this year. Well, uh, because of my good friend, Donnie Fandango, I got to side with him here, and uh, I, I think they will. I, I like uh, I've seen a little bit of NFL this season, but a lot of it has been the Bills because they're an exciting team, and you pull for that uh, that, that kind of underdog, a team that hasn't been there. And, you know, I follow Donnie on uh, Twitter, and oh, I God. see him uh, rise and fall uh, during the games on Sunday. And so uh, I'm going to side with him and, and, and put the Bills in that championship. I'm going to forget it. I'm going to forget it. I know everybody loves the Bills right now, and they are a great story. Josh Allen has been fantastic this season. I like their team. I just think there's too many options in the AFC right now that I'm going to go another route. 
I would not be surprised at all if the Steelers lose their first round game, whoever they play against, whether that be the Ravens or the Browns, looking like those are the most likely options for them. Wouldn't be surprised if either of those teams beat the Steelers. And then I think they could potentially beat the Bills in that second round, uh, the divisional round. I think the Chiefs are going to play the Titans, the Ravens, or the Browns in the AFC Championship wow. game. I think it's going to be one of those three teams. So I'm going to go ahead and forget it. I'll take the field over the Bills to make the AFC Championship game. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it. Let's get back to the Blues. Yep. Robert Thomas will finish the season for the Blues as a top six forward. He will be on one of those top two lines. Bet it or forget it, JR. I'm going to bet that one, too. And we're talking about him finishing the season as a top six forward. He better start the season oh, yeah. as a top six forward. And uh, where does he fit in? No Tarasenko at the start of the year. There's been, uh, you know, some conversation. Is uh, Robert Thomas going to be in the middle where he, his natural position? You know, I think they need to take that step. They need to have him at center full time. But I look at this lineup. And uh, I want to get Robert Thomas in my top six, but I still put Braden Shen in the middle. He's got the experience with the faceoffs. This is a short season. You can't afford to get off uh, to a bad start, lose a handful of games. Not to say Robert Thomas would contribute to that, but I think if you if you give Robert Thomas top six minutes, let him figure things out early on on that right side with uh, Braden Shen, but eventually you have to get him in the middle. I'm going to bet that he'll definitely be in the top six by the end of the year. I'm going to go ahead and bet this as well. I love it. Um, I'm... I'm going to say that he's going to be centering that line. Yeah, now, could with be. With yeah. Schwartz and Shin, and then you've got Hoffman, O'Reilly, Perron as your second line. Who do you think they go with as the third line center right now? Do they go Sonny or Bozak on that line? Well, I think you got to go Bozak, and he played pretty well last year. So I think if uh, Sanford drops because of the Hoffman signing, you'll have a Sanford, Bozak, possibly Blay line there. And then you're looking at uh, Barbashev and and Sunquist and Clifford on that fourth line. So, you know, you, you look at That's this. That's a really nice lineup. It, it is. It's a really nice lineup. And the thing about it is you got guys who do their role. You, you got some scores. You got some... Uh, guys who uh, put forth the effort every night. You got some skill and some physicality on that third line with Sanford and uh, and Blay, and then you bring in Clifford. Look, the one thing that gets overlooked, Doug Armstrong said he talked to players after last year, and he said, what do we need? And they said, we need a guy who, you know, people think twice. And he went out and got Kyle Clifford. I think it's going to be a big ad. I love it. I think that these lines look really good. And the other thing, and we know how Ruby is with this, there's room for shuffling. Like if, if at some point you need a little bit of a spark, there's ways that you can go about doing that. Even in game, if you need to switch things up a little bit, they, they've got ways to do so. And I think that's always a good thing throughout the course of the season. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, JR. The San Diego Padres will overtake the Dodgers this year as the best team in the National League West. Okay, before I give you my answer, let me ask you a question. Does Snell get to pitch past the sixth <laughs> inning? With the Padres, he certainly will. He can go past the sixth? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like if, with, his, uh, you know. if he was still with the Rays, the answer is a definitive no. Okay. With the Padres, though, I think they're going to be willing. So he's dominating the game. He's third time through. They leave him in. I think that, yeah, I think they have a chance to take over the Dodgers. If you're going to let your guy stay in the game when he's just completely in control uh, with the rest of that lineup, no kidding aside there, BK, uh, they've just got uh, quite a team. We watched a lot of that series against the Cardinals last year and the way that uh, they came back and the way they did it with their stars coming through. That star power's there, that core's there, and now they're adding around it. Uh, just tremendous. I know it sounds crazy. 
I think their pitching is better than the Dodgers now too, which is wild. I mean, the Dodgers have an unbelievable rotation with Walker Bueller and Kershaw at the front end of it. You can make a case, especially depth-wise now, that the Padres are even better yeah. in their rotation. And not just for this year, but the next couple of seasons they are. So I, I'm going to go ahead and bet it. Maybe I'm following in love with the team that's winning the offseason. And we know that doesn't always lead to true success on the field. But this is a little different than like the Reds going from a 70-win team to hoping to be a World Series contender in a year, right? This is a team that was already an NLCS contender that's trying to go over the top now by adding in even more pieces. There, there were anonymous sources, you know how that works, Jared, <laughs> that told the San Diego Tribune that basically they decided to add Ha Sung Kim without really knowing what position he's gonna play next year. But they were like, listen, this is a good player. We think he's gonna help us win. And we're gonna go ahead and add him. He's talented. We're, we'll figure it out as we go. That's the type of team that I'm willing to bet on when they're like, you know what? There's a good bat available. He's cheap. He's cost controlled for the next five years. We're going to go ahead and add him to the mix. So I like the Padres. And you're saying that you'll, you'll bet that. And I know they had the injuries on the pitching staff uh, during the series last mm -hmm. year. It looks like what Clevenger's out for, uh, out for this year. upcoming year. So if, if they had uh, him back, I mean, it's almost, uh, you don't say a slam dunk. Dodgers are talented. Uh, but I think you'd be even more convinced if they had him this upcoming and season. And they're going to have him for 2022. So yeah. it's, it's not just a one-year window for the Padres either. Either. This is a really fun team that's going to be around for a while. All right, last one for you, JR. Bet it or forget it. We'll get back to the Blues. They will be better this year with Krug and Hoffman than they would have been if they had just kept Petro. Now, a little bit of a disclaimer. It's not like it's one for one money-wise. Petro's at, what, $8.5 million this year? For eight, the eight for Vegas, yeah. And Krug and Hoffman combined for about $10, $10.5 million, probably. So it's not one for one, but better to forget it. The Blues will be better this year with Krug and Hoffman than they would have been with Petro. You know, I'm going to leave it for now, and that's not because I don't think they're better, but I want to see it. Like I said earlier, I really think that Alex Petrangelo did so many things for this team, and you're talking 25 minutes, you're talking power play, you're talking penalty kill. Uh, you know, he's going to make 8-8. Eight, eight. He would have made 8 here, so that's a million five more than Krug. I don't know that you would have had a chance to sign Hoffman if Petro's uh, back. So I think that with Krug and with Hoffman, they have the potential to be better. Uh, but let's see it. I watched it so many years with Petro. I, I know that they were good with him. Let's uh, see what it looks like with these guys. I also want to see what this does for Justin Falk. I don't know that it's for sure going to mean that he's better, but being in one role, I feel like can help him. Yep. Hopefully, fingers crossed. He's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Brandon Kylie. by the way. I'm going to go ahead and forget it as well. I just think Petro with him. I was looking at the odds for the Norris Trophy this year. He's like fourth again to, to win the Norris Trophy. He's just... When you've got a guy that is that good, I, I always want the blue chip talent if I can get it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. If you've got a blues question for Jeremy Rutherford, we've got the best blues insider that there is in the country. He's in studio with us. If you got a question for him, get him in. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Questions and answers is coming up next. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. for questions and answers. We will get to some of your questions coming up here in just a moment. We will get to Randy Moeller, former NHL defenseman, current Florida Panthers TV analyst. Talk to him about Mike Hoffman. He's coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But we've got to start with a story that was just posted on The Athletic 
by the one and only Jeremy Rutherford. It is titled Marty, Marty, inside Martin Broder's 125th and final shutout. Uh, JR, you were able to talk to a number of people that were intimately involved in that night, whether it was the guys that were calling the game or the players that were actually on the ice for the game. Would you learn about the night? What was it like being able to relive what was his final shutout in the NHL? It was six years ago officially on this day. Hold on just a second, BK. I'm scrolling Please. down to hit the awesome button here at the bottom of the story. I just okay, got that done there. <laughs> what a uh, what a night! You know, I remember uh, maybe I was doing some fill-in work six uh, years ago when the Blues brought in Marty Brodeur. He was a uh, semi-retirement at the time. I know you're not going to believe this, but I was next door at the Potbelly when I uh, got Naturally. the information, <laughs> the sandwich shot. When we got some information that that Marty Brodeur was going to come to uh, to St. Louis and try to fill in with Brian Elliott being injured. And it just, I mean, when he stepped onto the ice the first time, I remember taking some video and it just went viral on, on YouTube. Here's the legend, the New, New Jersey Devil, future Hall of Famer uh, in St. Louis, and he's going to put on uh, the Blues uniform. And so he played five games and, and was pretty good, not great, leading into this night. And so on December 29th, six years ago, uh, tonight, he played the Colorado Avalanche. 3 nothing shutout for the Blues. And BK, 20 years covering the St. Louis Blues. The chant of Marty, Marty, Marty in the final minute of the game, watching him pitch uh, shutout number 125, which is, of course, a record extended it for him, uh, was something I'll never forget. What was your favorite anecdote? And people should go check out this story on The Athletic. But your favorite anecdote from that night? from the guys that you were able to talk to was what? A couple, and I'll be quick here. The one from Marty I thought was amazing was he said his entire career, he had in his mind that he wanted one shutout every 10 starts. Every 10 starts, he better have a shutout. So he said he would look back. Did I get my shutout? No. Yes. Okay. So he finishes his career after he plays, what, seven games with the Blues. He finishes with 1,266 games in the NHL. And that second to last game was shutout number 125. I believe it's uh, a shutout every 10.1 starts. That's so amazing. It's just amazing that he had that mantra throughout his career and then uh, wound up uh, being right there on the money with the math. And, and just with the players, uh, one's, one that sticks out, I, I talked to uh, a few players and Coach uh, Bradshaw used to be an assistant coach with the Blues. He said that... You know, a lot of goalies, they'll put the puck in the corner if they got it, you know, and the defenseman's going to retrieve it and get it out. But Marty didn't like to do that. He wanted to get the puck in front of him. So a lot of times when it would come in on a dump in, he would just get it and, and move it and clear it up ice. And and so Brad Shaw, the former assistant coach, he came to me and, and he said, uh, I'm sorry, he told me that uh, Alex Petrangelo came to the bench one night and he goes, what the hell is Marty doing? <laughs> What's he doing? Like, I'm going back to get the puck, and all of a sudden it's flying past my head. And Bradshaw said, I don't know. I'll ask him next time out. And so he, uh, he he got back to the bench, Marty did, during the timeout. And he said, hey, what are you doing? He said, that's how I do it. I want the puck out of here. So uh, I think it was an adjustment for a lot of the defensemen, even for a, a guy like Alex Petrangelo. Uh, but, hey, you can't argue with what he did. I love it. That's fantastic. Well, if you, if you haven't checked it out yet, it was just posted over on The Athletic. Read JR's latest piece on Marty Broder's 125th and final shutout, the one that happened six years ago today in a Blues uniform. It's a great piece. Check it out over on The Athletic. All right, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers. We'll get to some more of these coming up here at 1215 or so, but we have a lot of questions coming in for you, JR. Let's start with this one. 
um, just as kind of a clarification for somebody. Does Vladdy being on the long-term IR mean that when he comes back, they can prorate his salary against the cap? So instead of being that full 7-5, it would be, whatever, $6.5 million whenever he returns. Well, salary is prorated and cap hit are completely different. And when it comes to long-term injury reserve, you're working off that $81.5 million salary cap, and he counts 7.5. So no matter what, whenever he returns, even if it's three days before the end of the regular season yeah you it gotta clear the space it, yeah long-term injury reserve money is completely different than the cap that's been explained to me a number of times and so when he comes back you have to clear whatever of his 7.5 that you used interesting so that is that is how that'll work and that does potentially matter for the blues because right now they're a little over what it would be for alex steen right like if you add in what Vince Dunn's expected salary would be? Yeah, when you project it. So they're not over because you get to go 10% over during the offseason. Right. So they're not technically over right now, but if you project it at the start of the year, they got about $4.2 million. Uh, if, if you uh, consider Vince Dunn for about two two five, they're going to be really close. When they sign Mike Hoffman, it's going to put them over, so they're going to have to figure out something. So it's about $2 million that they'll have yep. to figure out whenever – Vladimir Tarasenko does ultimately return. Interesting. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Last one for you here, JR. Any concern about playing Hoffman with Ryan O'Reilly? Because O'Reilly usually gets the matchups against the other team's top line. Hoffman isn't great defensively. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, but a lot of times the offensive players uh, on the other team aren't the best defensively either. So uh, even though Ryan O'Reilly is going up uh, against a great offensive matchup you know a lot of times the defense isn't there so you know and in today's day and age with the nhl you got two sometimes three good lines i don't think it's going to matter that much who he's going up against i think it's more important who he's playing with he's jeremy rutherford if you've got any more questions for him we'll get to those coming up at 12 15 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show it's 11:58. your time check brought to you by clarkson jewelers and officially licensed rolex jeweler let's learn a little bit more about what the blues are getting in mike hoffman randy moeller has watched him up close in person the last couple of years down in florida he is the florida panthers tv analyst what does he think the blues are getting in hoffman we'll ask randy moeller when he joins us coming up next on 101 espn Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. With Jeremy Rutherford, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The big news of the week, the St. Louis Blues have signed, not technically officially, but more or less officially, Mike Hoffman. And somebody who has watched a lot of Mike Hoffman over the last couple of years is Randy Moeller. He joins us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. He is a former NHL defenseman and current Florida Panthers TV analyst joining us here on the show. Randy, always appreciate the time, man. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. How you doing today? Hey, Brandon, Jeremy. Great, great. Really good. Uh, right back at you. Merry Christmas, and hopefully everybody has a happy new year. And uh, it's all good. Great to be on your show. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. So let's talk a little bit about Mike Hoffman, because you've seen a lot more of him over the last couple of years than I think the majority of Blues fans have. What are the Blues getting in this guy? We know that he's a prolific goal scorer, but what else can you tell us about Mike Hoffman's game? Well, that's that's at the top of the list. I mean, and I'm sure that he he'll say he'll say the same. 
He's a goal scorer. He's a shooter. Uh, he puts himself in position to receive the puck and shoot the puck. He's a not only a power play specialist. That's that's where you really see his impact on a hockey club is is on the power play, setting up on the one side for the one timer. But um, the one thing I, I like about Mike Hoffman, oh, there's a number of things, and, and that number one is he can play both sides. He can play right wing. He can play left wing. Uh, he can play the point on the power play or on the on the uh, the side wall as well. Um, he can he can play up and down your lineup, and he he did for the Florida Panthers. He played on the first line, second line, third line, even fourth line. Um, he can kill penalties. He's a great skater. He's got great mobility. He's quick around the puck, and and I think the the X factor is he he's got uh, aura of of confidence in his ability. That he knows that uh, and is and is uh, not afraid to make a move to maybe do something a little bit uh, unorthodox in order to hang on to the puck or make a play that maybe most players wouldn't be really comfortable with. He, he's got a lot of self confidence. Now, the other thing too, Mike Hoffman, he's not going to be accused of uh, being a blabbermouth. Uh, he's a pretty quiet guy. He doesn't uh, he doesn't say too much, and, but he's very 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 cordial and and uh, a great professional and goes about his business he just he's just not an overly um vocal like i think teammate on the ice in the locker room he just goes out and does his business and and as uh, you guys know he's done it very very well over the last few years randy with the news that uh, mike hoffman's on his way to st louis for camp and it looks like he's going to sign a one-year deal about uh, four million dollars uh, people are trying to see which line he would fit on. And, you know, goal scorers score a lot of goals. They don't play a lot of defense. Uh, you know, I don't uh, particularly pay much attention to that plus-minus of his. But does he need a defensively responsible guy around him uh, in, in order to make it work? And, and what do you think about Ryan O'Reilly being a potential line mate? Oh, oh they, would be a, they would be a match made in heaven, I believe. I, I think that uh, uh, they would complement each other. Um, you know, I, I, I've always said it, guys, even going back to my playing days, I mean, you know, offensive players get a bad rap that, uh, oh, they don't care about defense and that. You know what? In, to play in today's NHL, you have to be somewhat responsible defensively. And, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to speak for him, but I, I think Joel Quenville, the Panthers coach, I don't think very often he was, he was critical of Mike Hoffman's defensive play. Um, you know, when, when when you have an offensive player, it doesn't matter who it is, they have to, to to get to where they need to go and to help in that offense. They've got to take chances and put themselves in a more of an offensive uh, position than rather than maybe a safety, you know, defensive position. They they go for it and uh, they run and gun and that, and sometimes it, it, it works and sometimes it backfires a little bit. But I would never, ever label – Mike Hoffman as a defensive liability or a bad defensive player or are non-responsible or I would never characterize him that um, more more times than not I have shown uh, examples on uh, replays of Mike Hoffman coming back on a on a defensive back check breaking up uh, plays two on ones three on twos more times than not so um, he, he tries. I think he's, he, he really wants to be responsible on the defensive side when it's called for, especially in tight games and down to the wire and that. But he's known, he knows he has to produce offensively. He's an offensive player. So 
if you think he's going to hang back and, and just take the easy way out the defensive side or whatever, no, no, he is going to go. He's great. Uh, Great four checker, and he has the wheels, guys. He's quick. He's quick. He can skate. He keeps up to the play. So I think if he's put with uh, Ryan O'Reilly, I think that would be a match. Oh my goodness, they 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 will have great success together. Not only not only on the power play, but five on five. We're talking to Randy Moeller, former NHL defenseman, current Florida Pan- Panthers TV analyst, has uh, called the games for Mike Hoffman down in Florida over the last couple of years. I am curious, Randy, because. I mean, I know it's a strange offseason, right? It was a strange offseason. It's been a weird year for everybody. But when you see the numbers that Mike Hoffman has put up, really for six straight seasons at this point, and in particular over the last two years with Florida, it's hard to believe that he had to wait this long and ultimately had to settle for the deal that he got with the Blues. Why do you think it is, first of all, that Florida didn't bring him back or didn't try more to bring him back? And second of all, why do you think he wasn't able to get a bigger deal somewhere else this offseason? You know, guys, I and I think I've mentioned it already twice. I, I never speak for coaches or general managers or the philosophies that they may have. I mean, I, I'm not totally on the inside, so I, I couldn't tell you. Sure. Um, I mean, let's let's look at the facts. Let's go back to last January, February. Mike Hoffman's leading the Florida Panthers in goals. Um, and that, well, you take a look at the market, and if he continues to have success for the rest of the season, and if everything stayed normal, which we, as you just mentioned, it didn't, um, this is a player that arguably, I mean, uh, could sign a five, six-year deal at uh, seven, seven and a half million dollars a year, and nobody, I don't think, would blink an eye because that's the, that was at the time the marketplace. Well, all of a sudden, that got thrown out the window in the middle of March. And, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden, the salary cap is, uh, is frozen. Um, and what we've gone through and, and, and so many teams up against the cap and that, all of a sudden, now we're at a rea- reality. I, I'm actually, I'll be honest with you, I'm actually surprised uh, that Mike didn't sign uh, earlier uh, with somebody earlier. Um, and, and I don't blame him at all that uh, he was trying, but, I mean, he wanted a, a price, uh, a contract that he felt he deserved. Unfortunately, as we all experience, all of a sudden, after shortly after July 1st or whenever free agency was, it wasn't July 1st, but uh, that all of a sudden things started to dry up very, very quickly. And uh, I think he's one of the players that unfortunately got caught in, the, uh, in, in a bit of a pinch for the short term, but we all hope and pray that we get back to some kind of normalcy here, not this season, but for the following year. And if he produces like he does, and if he does end up signing with, with the blues, which we all anticipate that's going to happen. And he has a breakout year. Then, then, then the, uh, you know, then, then he's got the, he's got the leverage and, uh, and that there's just going to be a little bump in the road here in his career. But, I feel I feel for some of these players. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're high end, middle end, or just a fringe player. There's a lot of players that are getting pinched because of uh, the, the situation that we're in and, and uh, uh, the salary caps and, and, the, and, the, and the team budgets as well, individual team budgets. There's just not a whole lot out there. A, a couple of the top players, yeah, they did get their money and uh, uh, and their term and that, but then very quickly the reality set in and, and things dried up pretty pretty quick. 
Randy, a lot of Blues fans obviously excited about the signing, but it's only natural. Some uh, wondering, they recall the incident a couple years ago in Ottawa. We don't need to rehash that with uh, teammate Eric Carlson. If you want to know more about it, you can you can Google it there. But uh, a situation where he moved on to Florida, and so people in St. Louis are wondering what kind of guy, what kind of teammate, what's he going to be like in this uh, Blues locker room? What do you know about that? Uh, well, all I can say, guys, is my experience with Mike, both uh, professionally and personally, got to know him a little bit, and as we all do with broadcasters, and Jeremy, same thing with you as a reporter, and, and that, where, you know, you get to know the guys a little bit, and you're able to talk to them, and, and, and that. Uh, nothing but uh, 100% positive. Uh, he, to me, great teammate. Uh, good guy in the locker room. I think he's well liked by his teammates. Um, there was never a problem uh, with Mike Hoffman. Um, he was the ultimate uh, professional, uh, both on and off the ice in his time in, uh, in in South Florida. And that's basically all I can see. I mean, there's, I mean, everybody when when the Panthers acquired him, of course, there were some question marks and, and that, but never, that that never. You never even thought of uh, any of any of that in the past, and, and you know you give people the benefit of the doubt and uh, move forward. Nobody nobody has uh, all the answers or all the facts or whatever. And I, I stayed out of that part of it, and uh, um, I think a lot of people did. And, and Mike was the ultimate uh, professional and teammate for the Florida Panthers. And, Randy, one last one for you. Uh, Marty Brodeur finished his uh, career in St. Louis, obviously a New Jersey Devils legend. Six years ago tonight, 3 nothing shutout over Colorado, number 125 for Marty Brodeur, of course, an NHL record. Uh, did your paths cross on the ice? I know you played uh, with the Rangers before he got his career going, but then in Buffalo, did your paths cross any uh, Marty memories? Oh, yeah, I used to own him when I played. <laughs> Just like everybody else. Oh, no. I, I, don't, I don't think I ever came close to even scoring on my murder. Um, what a great, what a fabulous career and the consistency that he had. And, yeah, people will kind of throw a little bit of shade saying, yeah, but he had a good team playing in front of him. But, you know, <laughs> uh, you know I, I witnessed both as a player and as a broadcaster the – the, the magical career of uh, Marty Brodeur and, and up close in the games that I covered and played in and that, and he was amazing. Amazing. Everything he got, he deserved, and, and much, much more. Um, and, and he's such a good guy off the ice as well, and he's been a great ambassador for the game. So all positive for uh, Marty, and uh, we wish him well. He's doing well and uh, staying in the game and, and, and helping us grow this great game of hockey. Well, Randy, we sincerely appreciate you taking some time out of your day today to hop on with us. We hope you have a happy new year. All the best to you and the fam. And hopefully we'll talk with you again soon as this hockey season officially starts uh, getting getting after it. Yeah, well, like I said, guys, if I'm not dead by Thursday, I'll be <laughs> You're the best. That's Randy Muller joining us here on 101 ESPN, former NHL defenseman, current Florida Panthers TV analyst. Some really good stuff there said – um, of the Hoffman Ryan O'Reilly pairing quote that could be a match made in heaven he said if this was a normal offseason he thinks people wouldn't have blinked an eye if Mike Hoffman got a five or a six-year deal worth north of six million dollars per season and he also added that there was never an issue with Mike Hoffman in, that he's aware of in the Florida Panthers locker room so I, talking to a guy that was 
about as close as you can be without officially being on the team down in Florida. It, it sounds like there's really no downside here to this signing for the Blues, at least as far as I can tell. Yeah, there isn't. And, and when you look at Mike Hoffman and what Randy said about him, to me, that's what makes a good player great when, you know, he just makes impromptu decisions or shows a different type of skill than you're used to seeing to make plays happen. You got a lot of, and look, every guy in the league can play, right? Uh, but when you try to uh, watch Mike Hoffman and wonder why he's been so successful. Randy said it there is he'll he'll make plays and he'll do some unorthodox things to make them happen. And I think uh, that'll fit just well with uh, what the Blues need. It's interesting. I want to I want to continue down that path chair. We'll get into this on the other side. But I think basically what you're getting at there is something that I I was concerned about with the Blues in the postseason last year. And I know there's a lot of other stuff that went into what happened with the Blues in the bubble. But there's there's one thing that I think this signing does for the Blues, not just for the regular season, but once they get into the playoffs next year. I'll tell you what that is coming up on the other side here on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. I think if he's put with uh, Ryan O'Reilly, I think that would be a match. Oh, my goodness. They, they, they will have great success. That was Randy Moeller moments ago, the Florida Panthers TV analyst joining us here on the show, talking about how he thinks it's a great, a great pairing between Ryan O'Reilly and Mike Hoffman. And it's hard not to see or it's really hard not to see what's a love about this signing, frankly. There's there's a lot to like about it. With Jeremy Rutherford, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I said going into the break, I think there's there's one thing in particular that in a big picture sense, and maybe not just what we're talking about for the regular season when Vladdy Tarasenko is out, but even when he returns, there's one thing that really stands out to me about this, JR, oh. and it is the potential ceiling for the team raises in a significant way because you mentioned going into break how he has skills that are rare. He has the ability to put the puck in the net. He has the ability to do things that a lot of other NHLers who are great players objectively just don't have the ability to do. And if you go back to the Blues postseason in 2018-2019 when they ultimately won the cup and you look at who scored those goals, it was Schwartz, Tarasenko, O'Reilly, Perron. Once you get into those big-time situations and you've got the best of the best on the other side, you need your best players to come up with big-time plays. And Hoffman's a guy that can do that. He's a guy that when you are in the biggest of moments, he's one of the players that you're going to be able to count on in a similar way to those other players that I just mentioned. And so that's where I think it really gets even more significant. A year ago in the playoffs, in the bubble, you didn't have a ton of guys that you could really lean on whenever Tarasenko was out. Now you add one more guy in that's basically an insurance policy in case he's not truly up to 100% talking about Tarasenko. Yeah, and, you know, Doug Armstrong, I've heard him say a number of times about Vladimir Tarasenko, instant offense. I mean, there's times in games where it's 0-0, it's 2-2, and you can just feel that Vladimir Tarasenko is going to find a way to score. That's not necessarily Mike Hoffman. I don't think that you're 
uh, in the game and you say he's going to come up with a big goal here. But you know he's capable of it. So maybe not quite to the level Tarasenko others, but he's capable of it. And BK, I go back to what we were saying earlier, is now you've added another guy who's right on par offensively with what Shen can give you, Schwartz can give you, and a lot of those guys. And honestly, you know, I, I know it's great to have that star, that Ovechkin, uh, you know, that Connor McDavid that can be that instant offense. But when you're talking about a regular 82-game schedule, I know it's going to be different this year with the 56 games. You know, you need to rely on groups of people. And one night, some guy's not going to have it, but two other guys are. And and so I think what the Blues have here. Uh, is that and and I think what uh, Randy told us that he thinks it'd be uh, phenomenal to have Mike Hoffman with uh, Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, just think about that top six. Uh, you're looking at some sort of combination of Schwartz and Shen who've had a tremendous amount of success together. Everybody's excited about what Robert Thomas can do. Maybe he's in the middle of that. Maybe Shen goes to the right side. And then you're talking about a Con Smythe, Selkie uh, guy, and Ryan O'Reilly <laughs> with Hoffman, who's one of the you know, best goal scorers here in the in the past few years, and then David Perron, and He's you talk had 23 about twenty three plus goals each of the last two seasons. All star appearance for David Perron, and the chemistry we've seen with O'Reilly and Perron. I'm starting to wonder if there's enough pucks going around. Yeah, it, it's amazing. And then you think about when Tarasenko returns, and now it's like, well, you're going to have a guy that is a top six forward on just about any team in hockey that is going to be playing on the Blues third line. Like you could, I remember, I think it was Hitch who used to do the, the pairings instead of the lines, really, where it was like, yeah. there's two guys that are always kind of going to be together and you can filter through that third guy. It might even be one of those types of situations where you've got the pairings and then it's just the top three lines. It, it doesn't much matter who the third guy is, does, but you're going to have a really good line on all three lines and somebody that can score on all three of those lines whenever Tarasenko does return. Yeah, and, you know, that's far off, but it's not too far off. He's supposed to get reevaluated in, in February, and, uh, you know, it's, it is a shortened season, but you're going to get him back at some point. And does he go up with uh, Schwartz and, and Shen, or is it Robert Thomas in the middle there? Uh, and then you have that Hoffman, O'Reilly, Perron. It doesn't matter. You look at that, there's seven top six guys. Somebody's <laughs> going to have to go to that third line. And if, if you honestly, you know, put my hand into the fire right now and said pick a guy out of that seven who's going to drop to that third line I don't know who it'd be I think I would probably go with Hoffman just because I know more about what the other guys can do but I don't say that when it with any ounce of certainty like I I'm not confident in that choice but we know how this works right the likelihood is somebody's going to get hurt there's going to be some time off for some of somebody things tend to work its way through but I mean, those are all good choices. They're they're all good choices. This is a good problem to have when you have too many top six forwards. Looking out for my Twitter feed, I hope it's not Robert Thomas. Please don't be Robert Thomas going down to the third line. Uh, I don't know if my computer can handle that on the Twitter so feed. So we have had a few people ask, JR, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. And we addressed this a little bit with Randy Muller, who said he thinks that there were never any issues, at least as far as he's aware of, with Mike Hoffman in the locker room down in Florida. That was not exactly the case in Ottawa, of course. Mike Hoffman, seemingly a model citizen. However, there were some questions about the relationship between his then-girlfriend and Eric Carlson and his wife. And so there there are a lot of people that are asking about this. I think it's fair to ask, given that that is in the, his history, and it's a big part of why he was traded, ultimately. What can you tell people about that situation in Ottawa, and how, how much do you think it is a concern here? 
Yeah, when we just kind of cruise by it uh, in the interview with Randy there, uh, it's a complicated story, and so it's difficult to summarize in 30 seconds when you're setting up a question for Randy. Um, But a lot of people aren't aware of uh, what transpired there with Mike Hoffman in Ottawa and and why he left the Senators. Well, the story goes back a couple years to his time in Ottawa, and uh, there, there were legal issues here in terms of Eric Carlson's wife, Melinda, filed an order against Hoffman's then-girlfriend, Monica Carrick, alleging cyberbullying and a campaign, a quote, campaign of harassment that plagued the Carlsons after the loss of their unborn son in March. So we're talking about some really sticky stuff. To be honest, I don't know what was ever proven uh, or where it stands right now. Uh, Certainly it sounds ugly. And uh, to my knowledge, I believe Mike is is still with uh, Monica uh, and and now probably, I think, engaged to her. Uh, So you look at that and uh, to pull out the facts and the truth, you know, we can't sit here and and do this right now, but it, it, it doesn't look good. And so he was traded to San Jose and then on the same day flipped to Florida. The only thing I can go by here is that what Randy tells us, for two years, it's never been an issue. Does that mean we ignore it? No. Does that mean uh, that, that, that it's done with or it couldn't become an issue uh, in St. Louis? You know, who knows? But it appears just as a neutral observer here that that's something that happened in Ottawa and that's being taken care of. And Mike has moved on and he's been a good teammate in Florida. He's been a, a, a quality player. And now he comes to St. Louis and Randy doesn't foresee any issues with that. I think the other thing um, that that Randy Muller told us is that Mike Hoffman's a quiet dude. Um, he's not, he's not somebody that is overly talkative, communicative, or anything like that. It, it doesn't seem like he's somebody that's going to come into the locker room and like make waves, right? He, he's that's that is first of all not what happened in Ottawa. It wasn't Hoffman himself who was making these claims, at least as far as we know. It was his then girlfriend. I'm not trying to excuse it. I'm just kind of helping to explain it a little bit. And so that's I, that's part of this story as well. Yeah, and I will say this too. I should have said this earlier, that when Hoffman was traded from Ottawa to, you know, I say San, uh, San Jose and then flipped to, to Florida on the same day, uh, the Blues had a lot of interest at that time. It was widely known. And I remember having a conversation with Doug Armstrong. I said, hey, interest in Hoffman, would you have done it? And he said then that we did our homework. We were comfortable bringing in the player if it would have worked out. So we're going back two years kind of at the height of that story when that was in the news a lot. And Doug Armstrong said their due diligence showed them that uh, they were comfortable bringing him in. Interesting. And that's certainly noteworthy here because now you've had two years since then where in Florida it sounds like everything went all things considered well so you would think that that would help them even more with making this kind of a decision so i'm not too worried about it the other thing it's a one-year deal that they're going to be able to sign him to if anything were to pop up and i'm not expecting that but if anything were to pop up this is one of those situations where they could potentially move on if necessary because it's not a long-term commitment that they're getting into here. So that's part of this as well. Yeah, and but, but we have to stress, I don't think anybody around the league looks at Mike Hoffman as a, as a bad guy or somebody that you should not bring into your team uh, because of this incident. Again, that's not to minimize that situation, but just uh, knowing people and talking to people around the league about Mike Hoffman, he does not have that reputation. He's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll get more into the Blues coming up at 1 o'clock at EK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, Tony Gwynn Jr., the Padres radio broadcaster, is going to join us to talk about the big day for the San Diego Padres. 
whether or not he thinks Yadier Molina could be next on their wish list and where they stand in the NL West race with the LA Dodgers. Tony Gwynn Jr. joining us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. Jeremy Rutherford, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The big news in baseball yesterday, really the big news in all of sports, is that a baseball team has finally started doing some stuff in the hot stove season. It was the Padres. They started out the day with the big trade for Blake Snell. They ended up signing Ha-Sung Kim, an international free agent that could play all over the infield for them. And then they finished the day by, you know, just go ahead and putting the cherry on the top with you Darvish being their next starting pitcher as well. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to talk it all over with Tony Gwynn Jr., the Padres radio broadcaster. You can follow him on Twitter at his name, Tony Gwynn Jr. Tony, we always appreciate the time. How you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Doing very well. So I got to imagine yesterday was a pretty awesome day out in San Diego. What are Padres fans thinking right now after adding two frontline starters and a guy that I guess you just fit in wherever he can next year in Ha-Sung Kim? Yeah, it's safe to say that uh, San Diegans went to bed last night feeling pretty good about the 2021 season coming up. I mean, um, and you know what? They're they're kind of conditioned. Every it's over the last three off seasons, uh, the really the last four off seasons, the Padres have done made a splash. It started with Hosmer and continued with Machado. There were some trades made during this past season that that elevate them, and now. Uh, you're talking about a team that is seems to be putting uh, all the chips uh, in on this one, and, and obviously, uh, I, I, it needs to be said that these is, these deals are reportedly happening. Uh, nothing official yet, but if everything holds to be true, it certainly. Puts the Padres, I think, at the forefront of, of teams that can win a World Series next. Year. We were going to ask you about that. We talked earlier in the show, Tony. Does this put them past the Dodgers? That's a tough question because listen, the Dodgers are the champs. Um, we don't know what their their roster is going to look like at this point, right? I mean, uh, Justin Turner's a free agent. That's going to have to work itself out. Uh, we don't know what other moves can happen. But as of right now, you could argue that these two teams are even. Now, uh, the difference is the Dodgers have walked through this fire before and have come out on the other side. I mean, there's a lot to be said with the expectations that come with those type of uh, – those type of things and being a World Series contender. So um, I think it remains to be seen, and we'll have to sit back and see what the Dodgers do, if they do anything at all. But uh, this certainly puts the Padres in that conversation. Tony, I think a lot of Cardinals fans are green with envy right now of what the Padres are doing because we've been sitting back hoping, I mean, if we could just get Yachty and Wayno back at this point, I think Cardinals fans would be pretty happy with the offseason. Speaking of Yachty, I, I wonder yeah, yeah. from San Diego's perspective, is that somebody that makes some sense now? Because it feels like if they added a catcher of his ilk to go along with this pitching staff, man, that that is a potentially scary combination from the outside looking in. Do you think he makes sense for the Padres, Yadier Molina? Listen, I can't speak for all of San Diego, but I can speak from my perspective. Absolutely. I, I've, I've played against Yadier. I, I know the impact he can have on a pitching staff Completing completely shutting down any type of uh, extra bases that can be had. Uh, 
Um, and he's a clubhouse leader. I don't know anybody that doesn't that's played with Yachty or played against him that doesn't respect him at, at, at a high level. So I think he would be a great fit uh, here in San Diego. Now, listen, I'm also uh, I'm very sensitive to the fact that he's been in one one place his entire career, and I know for some guys that means means a lot more. Uh, so we'll see how it shakes out. But certainly, uh, in terms of the Padres, uh, he would be I think a great fit. I know you said you can't speak for the Padres' interest level, uh, just your own, and, and you would love to have Yachty in a Padre uniform. Uh, but what do you think the team is thinking uh, with all the pieces they're putting together and, and you uh, speaking on behalf of Yachty, how much he would help? Uh, how, how serious do you think the Padres would look into this? Tony, they got to be done at this point, right? they got to be done at it. <laughs> you, listen, I, I, I don't put anything past A.J. Perler at this point. I mean, he, he has shown time and time again that, uh, he never his phone is never off, so so you, you don't know if they're done or not. It certainly would seem like they have uh, the pieces they want, but uh, as I said, you can't put anything past past AJ Pro. I know there's been I don't know what the Padres' interest was. I know there's been reports uh, uh, by some by some of our better um, insiders around the game that that said that there has been interest, but what interest? Uh, I'm not sure. I can tell you now. I'm seeing something now that the Dodgers just made a trade with Tampa, so I, the Dodgers may be making moves on their own right now. It looks like it's a relatively small move. It's got some relievers involved. It looks like surprise, surprise, Tony, another salary dump for the uh, Tampa mm. Bay Rays. Who could have seen that one coming? We're talking with That's Tony. That's how they Gwynn. do business. It's certainly and it's worked out well for him over the years. It has. It has. Tony Gwynn Jr., Padres radio broadcaster, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Tony, I did want to ask you kind of in terms of the outlook for the Padres. Everybody's saying they're going all in, and they certainly are in some respects, but the farm system is still loaded. It's not like they gave up right. top five prospects in these deals, and a lot of the guys that they're adding are under contract for not just one year, but they've, they've got some years of club control now. How long do you think this winning window can be for the Padres? Are we about to go into like a, a three- or four-year window for San Diego? Listen, that's been the plan from ownership and in this front office all along. I mean, back when they started to unload the first team that uh, AJ put together, that was the idea that they would strip it down, reload the farm system with with draft picks and international signings, and they accomplished that in the first two or three years. And uh, it was a matter of those prospects kind of coming to the big league level and being able to produce. And uh, from there, that is where I think AJ Prella deserves a lot of credit because uh, after stocking the system, the way he has, uh, he was able to then flip that and to get quality players that were under team control uh, and relatively at a relatively good price um, to get to a position where you can open up that winning window where it is three, four, if you're lucky five years, uh, and that's where the Padres right now sit. Now, they've gone ahead and spent some money here bringing in Blake Snell and reportedly uh, reportedly Blake Snell, reportedly you uh, Darvish, but they had the flexibility to do that because of the way they kind of set things up three, four years ago. So as you mentioned, Tony, they've gone about it, uh, bringing in uh, guys various ways uh, into the system, uh, trades, free agents. I'm wondering, curious, is there a way that other organizations like the Cardinals can look at the Padres, uh, how they went about it? Anything to mimic there? Listen, 
it's it's hard to say the Cardinals, if I'm being frank, that the Cardinals should be following the Padres' footsteps. Yes, as of right now, the Padres are set up well, but the Cardinals have been a playoff team, a team that has a chance to to do some damage for a long time. I mean, there's little spurts where you know they might miss, but they usually aren't out of it too long, at least uh, in in recent in recent history. But uh, certainly. Um, it, it, it starts with having the type of farm system and being and having a scouts that can locate those that, that type of uh, talent, and then being able to actually help that talent grow. And I, I think the Cardinals, you know, overall have done a pretty good job of that. Yeah, but we want Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're missing. We we want one of those guys. How do we get that? <laughs> Well, well, listen. I, the Padres did something that that I don't think anybody ever predicted they would do. They 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 got in there, they got their pocketbook out, and they spent a ton of money to bring a guy like Man, Manny Machado in. Um, and, and sometimes you got to step out on a limb, you know, even though things around you may seem guys who, who are signing big deals uh, on other teams, it may not work out. Sometimes you got to step out on a limb. And in this particular situation, when you can sign a 26 year old to a big deal. That's a different story. You know, the, the, the Cardinals have had situations where they've had guys, but they hadn't been that young, and so they weren't necessarily comfortable. I think ultimately because of the, 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 the type of uh, finances the Cardinals have, they have to go about it in a way like they have. And they got to find guys that, uh, that they grow in their system, but occasionally you would like to see them step out and sign a guy. But it's got to be the right age. It can't be just anybody. Next year, as I've got you on the line, Tony, I wanted to ask you because Cardinals fans are looking to next offseason right now in the shortstop class that is potentially going to be available. I mean, Corey Seager is is at the right. top of that list. Trevor Story. You got guys all over the place, all basically all-stars. If you could pick one of those shortstops or potentially trading for Nolan Arenado next offseason for the Cardinals, what would you do if you were in John Mosellock's shoes? Oh, wow. I mean, that's a tough one. I, I, I've, I, out of those three guys that you mentioned, it was it Seager, Arenado, who was the third one? Uh, Corey Seager, Arenado, you've got Trevor Story, Carlos Story. Correa is going to oh. be on the market. I mean, there's, there's a yeah. few of them that are really good shortstops out there. I listen. I've I've been always been a big fan of, of both Story and Seager. I got to see Seager up close the one year I worked for the Dodgers. Uh, that was his rookie season, and uh, when he's healthy, he's as as good as it gets. I mean, he can do it all, as we saw uh, last year through the short season and into the playoffs. Um, and he's still mobile. One of the things that I think a lot of people thought was that eventually he'd grow out of short, but he still uh, can can play the position, especially the way uh, the metrics are today. But I, if I had to pick, I'd probably say Trevor Story's the guy uh, from the time he's. He's he's one of those guys. I haven't talked to Bud Black about this. That just gets better every year uh, that goes on. He adds to his game, and um, I think defensively he's probably the best out of the two. So uh, uh, he he's probably up there with Correa in terms of range. So I like Story if that's if that's who I get to pick from. 
I like it. I, I didn't even mention the fact that you've got Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez out there potentially as well. It's, it's a heck of a free agent market next offseason. It's not a lot you can go wrong with at that class. Absolutely. And hopefully the Cardinals, are if they get one of them, I'll be happy at that point. Tony, <laughs> we always appreciate the time, man. All the best to you and the family. We wish you guys the best. Have a happy new year. And enjoy watching this Padres club whenever we're finally able to watch baseball again. Because, man, they look like they're going to be a heck of a lot of fun to watch next year. They certainly do. You guys have a good one. Have a happy new year. Absolutely. Same to you. That is Tony Gwynn Jr. joining us here on 101 ESPN. Dan mentioned this earlier today whenever we were doing the crossover. He sounds exactly like his exactly. father. Exactly yeah. like his father. And, man, his dad was one hell of a baseball player. But that that team is going to be so much fun. So I'm adopting them next year as my non-Cardinals National League team because when you watched them in – against the Cardinals this season, I, I found them just, my eyes went to them as opposed to the Cardinals because of how much fun they were, man. Yep. There's just this youthful exuberance on that team that you don't see across baseball very often anymore. And I, I, I really appreciate the way that they play the game. And speaking of his dad going to so many Cardinal games growing up at Old Bush Stadium, to see Cardinal fans give his dad standing ovation at times, uh, just one of the, the best moments. They really love the legends of the game. And, and his dad, Tony Gwynn, was one of them. He is Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll get to the concerns about the Blues coming up at 1 o'clock. If there are any, what are they? We'll get to those coming up at 1 o'clock. But coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer right here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Powered by Randy's Jewelry. We make quality affordable. Let's go Blues. He's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Brandon Kylie. Luke Clevenger working the board for us today. It is the junk drawer right here on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into things with a story that I find particularly interesting, JR. As you know, a lot of people got some Christmas gifts over the holiday weekend. Hopefully, you got everything that you were looking for. There are some people, though, that were less than thrilled, not by the gifts that they received, but by the people that gave them those gifts. So I'm reading this story um online last night and there are apparently people selling unopened gifts on ebay couple of them basically say something to the degree of i got this from my ex i don't know why they got me a gift and i don't want to open it i'm not interested in receiving this gift from my ex so i'm just gonna put it on ebay i don't know what it is i don't know what's in there but you can purchase it for whatever the highest bid is and then you get whatever oh is my in there. goodness would you be interested in something like this? Like, is JR, if you got on, logged onto your eBay account, I know you got one. Let's be honest here. The Buy It Now feature is very nice. Would you be looking at the unopened gifts that are currently wrapped and potentially putting in a bid for something like 100%. this? A hundred percent. I don't watch hours and hours of Garage Wars for no reason or whatever that show is. I want to open up this uh, garage and and just not know what's in it yeah. and, and dig through it and, and find something. And especially, you think about it, you said X, right? Yeah. So, uh, so an X. It could X, be good. It could be really good. It could good. be amazing. You could and, be getting, like, you might end up, JR, purchasing a beautiful necklace that your wife could then be re-gifted later on. And you purchased it for, like, a tenth of the price. Yeah. Or, it, you know, maybe they hate each other. They don't like <laughs> each other. 
And even if the thing's not worth any, the present's not worth anything, at least you get some get amazing story, story it, to right? tell out of it. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out. I don't need any of this. I, I'm glad that people like you exist. You are far more adventurous than I am. I don't need to be buying stuff that I don't know what's in there. I have no, it, it could be a snake. I'm opening this thing up. I get done with the gift wrap and suddenly I'm opening up a box that just has this Python and I don't need that in my uh, life, Okay, JR. the one thing that could change my mind in this world was a snake and you, <laughs> you say a snake. That's the one thing. I might have to change my mind based on that. All right, I have one other thing that I don't totally understand that I wanted to get to today in the junk drawer. So my guy Brad Barnes, meet from the fast lane, posted a tweet the other night. Says about a year ago, I decided I wanted to pick up woodworking and I thought it would be a good idea to build a reclaimed uh, barn wood dresser for my first big project. After a lot of frustration and procrastination, she is officially done. It looks beautiful. If you want to check this out, his Twitter it. account is at meet101espn. He did a fantastic job on this thing. What I don't understand is how somebody can just decide, you know what, I'm going to pick up woodworking and one of my first big projects that I'm going to do is a reclaimed barn wood door that is going to become a dresser now. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Like, what do I do with this? Yeah, and until people look at the uh, the tweet, it, you can picture what it looks like. It's a dresser with drawers. But I've never seen this concept. Underneath the bottom drawer, there's actually room for two hampers. Yeah. So he has a hamper on each side to throw the dirty clothes. I just wondered, I guess before he took the picture, he had to... Pull oh, those definitely. dirty underwear out of there. A absolutely. You you already know that he was gonna he was getting rid of everything that was in those two. He made sure to tidy it up beforehand. He also has one of those salt rock things, the night light that is going around. I got one of those for Christmas. I don't totally understand it. I kind of like them. They're pretty cool. Have you seen these yeah, things? Yeah. I don't understand it, but they say that they make you feel like you're in a better mood. So yeah. I, I'm in on that. Do you always do that when somebody posts a picture? You kind of blow it up and look around to see what else is there. <laughs> What's in the background here? <laughs> what else could I find that would be great to be able to really dive into deep here? Yeah, somebody takes a, a picture of their new chair. And oh, by the way, there's a bong in the corner. <laughs> I remember, I think it was, it was a Seattle Seahawks player who posted something during one of the games, right? He was hurt. And I, I want to say it was Jamal Adams, but I'm not certain on that. He posted a picture of, like, the way that he was watching the game, had, like, the popcorn next to him, a drink in front of him and everything. He was like, this is my view for the Seahawks game, out injured, watching the game from home. And it appeared, cannot confirm or deny, but it appeared that there was a joint right in front of him just sitting on the table. Of course, deleted the tweet, but it... Sometimes you got to be careful about what's in the background of your pictures that you're posting on social media. Well, I'm just glad that Meat got the skid mark underwear out of the picture before he posted that. <laughs> He's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. What are your concerns for this Blues team? Because there's a lot to like about them. A lot to like, especially after the Mike Hoffman deal that they're able to lock up. What are the questions? What are the concerns about the Blues heading into 2021? We'll get into a few of those. I'll ask Jeremy Rutherford for his when he when we return here on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. With Jeremy Rutherford, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 
65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll get into Are We Sure coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, what are the concerns for the Blues going into 2021? We know that this is a quality team. Everybody, whether you look at Vegas odds or we just eye tested it, this is going to be a good team going into next year. It feels like they are kind of back into the groove of things with the roster that they have right now. That being said, there are still some questions about any team going into the upcoming season. So, JR, I wanted to ask you, for you on paper right now, what are your biggest questions about the Blues that they need to answer going into this upcoming season? Well, I think uh, there's a couple. I think uh, first and foremost, how do new guys fit in? You know, you would think that uh, Tory Krug, you know, he's an established player. He's going to come in and uh, be given some ice time and a nice role, and he's going to play well. That's what I expect, too. Uh, you look at uh, Mike Hoffman, if indeed he signs that deal and, and comes in and, and plays in their top six, he's probably going to fare pretty well. But until they get out on the ice and play with these guys, I, I think it, it still remains to be seen. But big picture, how do they move on without Alex Petrangelo? i got to be honest, I felt like if they lost their captain, there would be some sort of shock period and probably some adjustment time getting used to uh, him not being around and especially what he does on the back end. But I think they've moved on pretty well so far. I mean, it's still the offseason. I get it. But you've named a tremendous captain, Ryan O'Reilly. Looks like you got a really good leadership group. Tory Krug comes in. He's going to help uh, with some of that offense and, and some of that uh, defensive work uh, that Alex Petrangelo leaves behind. But still, you're without a guy who's been in your organization for 10 years, and he was the guy who you look to at all points and times of the game. How do they move on? I think they can handle it. Let's see it. Um, but in terms of X's and O's roster, to me, the biggest question, BK, is the goaltending because uh, I think you're pretty strong and got a lot of depth up front. Uh, when you're talking about not playing Jordan Cairo opening night, you know I think that uh, you're looking pretty good. And I think defensively, there's a lot more balance there. Uh, you got a guy on the left side. Think about all the times you know Gunnarsson in and out, done. Uh, you know Scandella, you're playing Falk on the left side. Now you've got a top four that's got some balance. So I think that works out. But to me, it's the goaltending. I got a lot of faith in Jordan Bennington, uh, but he wasn't as great last year. Still good, not 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 great. And it's a it's a contract year for him, BK, and who knows how he responds in, in that type of situation. We all know that he's never nervous, right? But uh, yeah. this is his future. Like, if he has a really good year, he could be looking at a five- or six-year deal for, let's just say, $6 million plus. And I think uh, with with uh, it being a contract year, there's going to put some extra pressure on him. Uh, but then also with the goaltending, Billy Huso just haven't seen him in the NHL yet. And uh, with uh, the schedule this year, you're going to need him. Don't know what to expect. But uh, I think the goaltending position out of all three areas is the one that I would have the most question about. Yeah, the Jacob Markstrom contract is probably the type of deal that you would be seeing from Bennington, right? He got a six-year, $36 million contract this offseason with the Flames. I I would think that something similar, if if there's a really good year for Bennington, that's probably around what you're looking at, right? Yeah, and you know what? If uh, What if things don't go well for Jordan Bennington, knock on wood, uh, the Blues don't have anyone ready with some experience. Now, granted, you'd have some money. You could go into free agency and, and find a goaltender. But for whatever reason, if, if Bennington didn't have a great year or he wanted more 
than you were willing to pay him. Let's say he wants that six times six and the Blues don't want to go there. He's an unrestricted free yep. agent. He can just walk. So I think with where the Blues are at with their goalies in their system, they would definitely have to bring somebody in. I'm right there with you. The The goalie situation is probably my biggest question, but I would expand it to just goal prevention in general, kind of combining the two things that you talked about there. Because I do think there's fair questions to ask about the defensive side of things, right? You've got guys that are going to be on, in new roles this year. Colton Pareko is now the true number one defenseman for you. That's I think he can do it, but I want to see that yeah. he can for sure do it That now that he's going to be taking on more of the, the Petro role that we've seen in years past, right? I want to see what Marco Scandella looks like in his role over the course of a full season. I want to see Justin Falk as a true number two right-handed defenseman. Like he's just he's in that role. How does that look over the course of the season in this system? Then Tory Krug, we just we've never seen him before in this uniform. So let's let's find out what that looks like. And with all of those questions surrounding the defensemen and the goalies, last year they were fifth in goals against per game. How much of a step back, if any, does that take? And are you able to make up for that with the increase, hopefully, in goal production that you're able to have? Can you offset those two things? That would be the hope. That's what I believe will happen. But there are questions there. And I think if you've got concerns about the Blues potentially not living up to expectations, that's where those concerns probably come from is just how far of a step back do you take in goal prevention? Yeah, I think it's a real great point. I think it's a fair point. Uh, You look at the defense on paper, Colton Pareko, you like what he brings. I think a lot of people in the league think that he can be that guy. Uh, that alpha male that uh, Doug Armstrong uh, described. But you're right, you know, as much of a track record as Tory Krug has in the league, you know, he may be playing some top pair minutes. And I just did a piece on him at The Athletic recently, and and people think that he's underrated defensively, that that he can be a guy definitely. In that was your, a good piece, a in, really good piece. Oh, thanks. In, in your top four. But can he play 24, 25 minutes a night? Probably not. Um, so I think we have to see it from him. And then the biggest one, Justin Falk, you know, what kind of season is he going to have? You know, he could be that guy who makes the difference in terms of just how good you are or how great you are. Like if he can be a player who you can rely on defensively and then he finds some offense too, you know, that could just give the blues an extra gear. If he's the guy that they thought they were trading for, not the guy that they got last year, but the guy they thought they were trading for and ultimately gave that contract to, I think it completely changes my expectations for this team going into next year because that guy means that you have one more offensive producer on the defensive side of things. And between him and Krug and what we've been talking about all morning with their forwards, I that's going to be really difficult for opposing teams to be able to line up against. And just in terms of the goal production, because he, he was really good with Carolina. He he was a really good defenseman that was able to add some offense from the blue line. And if he can get back to that, man, it, it really does change things. I just, I, I don't know where I'm at in terms of my hope for getting back to that, right? I, I don't think you can expect him to be fully that same player here maybe, but Thinking back to like 80% of it, I, I think I would take that at this point. Yeah, and we'll see. You know, camp starts uh, January 3rd, this Sunday, so we're going to see him out on the ice, and, and we'll see, you know, as the games get going, uh, what he looks like. I think as we sit here December 29th, you can look at it this way. How many guys up and down the Blues' uh, 23-man roster do you not know what you're going to get? That's interesting. From and, and I think if you look at it, you know, when I did that piece on Krug, everybody told me you're never going to wonder what you're going to get from him. You always are going to feel great about him on the ice every night and that he's going to leave it all out there. But, you know, I think, you know, Jaden Schwartz, Ryan O'Reilly, uh, Braden Shen, 
Uh, up and down the lineup, Colton Pareko, you, you basically know what you're going to get there. Tory Krug, I mentioned. Uh, I think when you look at Justin Falk, he's the one guy, and, and I know it's only one-year sample size, uh, but you you just don't know. And I think because the potential is there uh, for him to do well and the expect, expectation is so high because of his seven-year contract, a lot of pressure, but if he can be better than he was last year and signs of what we saw in the bubble – then I think uh, that definitely adds another dimension to the Blues. I've got five guys on my list. Blay, Kairu, Falk, Dunn, Huso. Those are my five guys that I'm, I I don't know right now. Blay is more about the health because if he can stay healthy, I'm pretty sure he's a pretty good player. Every time that we've seen him get extended playing time, he's been pretty good out there, but he's never been able to stay healthy consistently. So that's kind of my biggest question for him. We've talked ad nauseum about Kairu and Falk. Don, it's more about ceiling than anything else. I think he's a pretty good player. Yeah, he's already established. The, right. the ceiling is kind of the question there. And then Huso. With the way that the schedule is potentially going to be set up this year, JR, with playing almost like baseball-like series, right? Potentially where you're, you're kind of trying to lessen the travel and more back-to-backs. How, what are you expecting from Huso? I guess is the easiest way to ask this question because I – I don't know. I think that's probably from from our text line six five seven eight zero. The question that we get the most from Blues fans is what 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 should we expect from him? Well, he he has been a good prospect, and from what we've seen of him, whether it be exhibition games or in the American Hockey League, he looks good. He's been a little bit banged up. He had some high ankle injuries, and look, he could have been the guy that that got called up a couple of years ago if instead of Jordan Bennington, but. Uh, Huso had uh, the injuries, and, and he was playing at the time, but Bennington was playing better, so they brought Bennington up, and and we know the rest of the story. Uh, look, Billy Huso is a, a fourth-round draft pick and a guy who's not 22 anymore. You know, he's 25, and, and so I think, you know, at some point you have to bring these guys up and give them a chance. The only reason, you know, you sit here and, and you have concern about Billy Huso is because nobody's been through a season like this. I mean, yeah. you're talking about going out and playing L.A. twice, San Jose twice. Uh, Anaheim twice. You know how many times are you going to need Billy Huso in that uh, in that trip? You know, with the back-to-back games, and so uh, I, I think they're going to have to get him some action. They're going to have to see how he responds. And the one thing I'll say, it this ties back to Jordan Bennington. If Jordan Bennington can prove that he's a guy who, hey, look, he's a one A. He's a guy who's going to get that contract. Then I think you can bring Billy Huso along. But if Jordan Bennington stumbles and suddenly you have to turn to to Huso more, you know that's going to put a little more pressure on him. So to me, the two are, are, are tied together. No reason to think that Huso can't be that guy uh, because that's what his, his pedigree is. But until you get out there, it's also tough because with this Hoffman signing, we all love the Hoffman signing, right? It, it, great move. Should have done it a hundred out of a hundred times. There's not really a whole lot of wiggle room now when they get to the trade deadline to potentially bring in a goalie, right? If that, if that was the clear need, you get to the deadline, you're like, Huso's just, we've got to upgrade this backup goalie situation because Bennington's been good, but not he hasn't asserted himself as the clear-cut number one, and we need some some insurance there. It could potentially be difficult to add that kind of salary to the situation now, too, because I mean, at the deadline, they might have to shed salary, much less bringing something on in terms of bringing in a goalie. Yeah. And, and you know, in terms of uh, goaltenders out there, who's available, maybe even if you get one at, at the right price, uh, I think a couple of them have signed recently. Craig Anderson. Yep. I'm not saying these are guys that you can plug in and they take you through the playoffs. I'm just saying, you know, who out there is available. Typically, uh, teams 
that are in the playoff spot aren't trading their goaltender. So who do you get at that point in time? The Blues have kind of made their bed with this situation. They had to, trading Jake Allen to get some salary cap space, and they're just going to have to rely on the guys that they have. They basically traded Jake Allen for a second-round pick in Mike Hoffman. Like when, yeah. when you when you look at that some deal, space. the way that it worked out, it I think you probably make that deal over and over and over again. I know it ultimately leads to some uncertainty with Huso, but Hoffman just he fills such a significant need that I think it was probably the right way to go. Ultimately. It's not just Looking about back. the draft. It's not just about free agency. It's not just about trades. It's a combination of all those things, and, and that's how we have the, the roster that we see today. He's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up in 15 minutes, everybody loves what the Padres just did, but are you willing to go through the tough parts to be able to get to that point? I think that's the big question for Cardinals fans. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Let's play a game of Are We Sure? Coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. With Jeremy Rutherford, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Are We Sure? JR, let's play a game of Are We Sure? Let's start with this one. We're sure Jordan Cairo is going to be on the ice for the Blues on opening night. Everybody's healthy? Everybody's healthy. I don't see how. And I know that uh, Doug Armstrong has said a couple times this offseason that they want to give him more of a role they want to give him a chance and with Vladimir Tarasenko out BK everybody's been thinking that he's going to actually get some top six ice time let's see what he does with it but I think Mike Hoffman the signing there uh, probably puts an end to that right out of the gate and then you look at that third line Sanford Bozak potentially Sammy Blay yeah Jordan Cairo could fit in there I could see a situation where you get him some playing time but I don't see Sanford or Blay sitting out on a regular basis I think Jordan Cairo is going to have to work his way into the lineup Whew. That makes me kind of sad, I got to be honest, because I was excited to see. I'm happy that Hoffman is here. Let me clarify. It was a good move. It was the right move. You make it 100 times out of 100. However, as a disclaimer, that, that disclaimer aside, I was excited to be able to finally see what Jordan Kyrou could bring to this team. Because I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, JR, this was the year for him, kind of his last best chance to be like, all right, you're going to get opportunities with a line where you can really show what you can do. And if if you make good on it, you're a part of the future, a significant part of the future. If you don't, well, then at least now we know what Jordan Kyrou kind of is at this point. I still feel like after this season, if this is the route that they go, they're probably not going to know what he is going into next year. And at some point, don't you need to find out on guys like him? Well, and especially is you're likely to protect him in the expansion draft. So if you're going to use one of your seven forward spots to protect Jordan Cairo, Good point. And I would think that you would. You're going to have to get a look at him this season before you make that decision next summer because next summer is that expansion draft with Seattle. And I'm not saying that's in stone that they're going to protect him, but I'm just saying it looks like a young guy with speed. You're talking about a salary cap that's not going to go up. He's a cost-controlled player uh, you know, for the next few years. So see what Jordan Cairo has. Look, I know it's not going to be an 82-game season. I know it's you know it's not long, uh, but there are going to be times for Jordan Cairo to get out there and, and show what he can do. The biggest thing for me, BK, you know, he's still young. What is he, 22, 23? Um, the biggest thing is he's got to get those top six minutes. He has to earn them. I got to say that, but he's got to get that. We can't find out who Jordan Cairo is playing on the fourth line 
with uh, McEachern and, and Barbashev and those guys. You got to use that speed. And, and I think uh, when you're playing with guys like Thomas O'Reilly, so on and so forth, you get a better gauge. Is there an argument for him over Blay, though? I mean, we, we were talking earlier today, the third line that you had kind of projected was Sanford, Bozak, and Blay. Is there an argument for going with Kairou over Blay on that line? I think you could make uh, the case, yeah, for sure. Hey, see what he looks like with, with those guys. And, and if you're not going to get him top six, you know, third line, it's, it's fine. This is a three-line league, so I get it. But Sammy Blay, I like him because he brings you a little little bit of skill we've seen some nice goals from him but he also brings you physicality yep. he and Ivan Barbashev are your two biggest hitters on the ice I know this year you have Kyle Clifford uh, also to give a little physicality but I think Sammy Blay just has a different element like Kairou with the speed Blay has the physicality so I, I think you would miss him if he were healthy if you didn't have him in your lineup 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for are we sure JR are we sure at this point that the St. Louis Cardinals are going to bring back Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. Gosh, it's uh, it's such a tough one. Um, I feel like they're going to bring them back. If they bring back one, I, I think it'll be Yadi. Um, but these are always sticky situations. And I think, uh, you know, I've gone through it with the Blues, with guys like David Backus and Alex Petrangelo, and you feel like at the end of the day, things are going to work themselves out. But sometimes they don't. Look what happened with Petrangelo. And so, you know, it just depends on the guy and where he's at in his career and what means the most to him. And 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 so I feel like how do the Cardinals move on without Yadier Molina wrapping up his career in their uniform? You know, it's hard to envision. Uh, but, you know, things happen. I'm definitely not sure at this point. In fact, I would say if you... If you told me you can bet on either both Wayno and Yachty returning next year or neither Wayno nor Yachty will return next year, I think I would go with the latter. Yeah. I think I would go with none of the two, and that doesn't make me happy to say it, but let's think about it from the Cardinals' perspective first. Well, Yachty's probably going to want $5, $10 million. Wayno, something similar. That's potentially up to $20 million that you're spending on those two guys and they are very clearly in cost-cutting mode right now. So if you're in their shoes, do you go that route or do you try to upgrade externally instead? I think they might be looking to upgrade externally with cheaper options, yes, but guys that can come in a little bit cheaper, maybe give similar types of production to you next year, especially because they feel good about their pitching. Now, from the other perspective, Yachty, where could I win? Where am I more likely to win for my last year or two in the bigs? St. Louis? Or a place like New York or Philly or Washington or now San Diego. I think there's other alternatives that might be better in terms of winning a World Series. You can win a division here. I don't know that you're competing for a World Series here. For Wayno, I, I think he would love to come back to St. Louis. I think it really does come down to, though, whether or not the Cardinals want to bring him back. And that all comes back to whether whether or not they're comfortable with their current situation pitching was and i think they are i think they're comfortable with the guys that are currently in that rotation yeah it, you know it all depends on whether they want to come back if what means most to yadi is going somewhere where he can win then he's probably going to have that opportunity we've talked about the few teams and perhaps there's a chance that he leaves but gosh these situations are just so hard to read because yeah. uh you know alex petrangelo really wanted to be in St. Louis, he really wanted to stay here. I know there are going to be people listen to that and disagree. No, he had an option to take the Blues contract, but he decided to 
go to Vegas. He had an 11th-hour contract offer from the Blues the night before free agency. Look, I think in his heart of hearts, he would have liked to have remained a St. Louis Blue, but there are a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that people don't know about. And when it comes down to it, when he said, I'm going to go check the market, you know, he told me he would have, even the, that weekend, still continued to talk with the Blues. He felt like something could get done. So, look, you analyze that whole situation. Alex Petrangelo eventually made the decision on what was going to happen with him. But just with these situations, Yachty and, and, uh, and, and, and uh, Wainwright and Alex Petrangelo, David Backus, I think in most situations, BK, that they would like to stay where they're at. And a guy like Yachty, the other thing that he's looking at that Petro was not. Petro wasn't looking at, and this sounds morbid, but his career mortality, right? His, his hockey playing mortality staring him in the face. Yachty kind of is. He sees the end is very close. Even though he's still a very good player, the end is nearing. He can look at what the age says on the back of his baseball card, and he can see, okay, I, I'm getting close to the end here. Same thing for Wayno. So if you're Yachty and you're Wayno, you probably want to win. And here in St. Louis, I think they can do some winning, like I said, but not maybe not at the same level as a place like San Diego. Last one for you, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for Are We Sure? Are we sure that one of the Packers or the Chiefs are certainly going to be representing the AFC or NFC in the Super Bowl? Are we sure one of those two teams will be playing in the Super Bowl this year? You would think, right? Well, I, I can't take your opinion because uh, I'm surprised we still haven't heard Mahomes' name this entire show. Hey, I'm trying to get better, all right? <laughs> I, I haven't relapsed yet today. Yeah, but I, I like those two teams, especially Green Bay, the way they're playing, and the MVP candidate uh, in Rodgers. Um, are we sure? I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say I'm sure that, that one of those two teams will be in there. I'm pretty sure as well. Pretty I, sure? That's not a choice. Is this well, segment sure. called Pretty I'm Sure? sure. <laughs> I'm sure. We're back I, with I'm Pretty Sure. And honestly, of the two, the one that I feel better about, and I know this is going to surprise nobody, is the Chiefs. I know that all season, especially the last seven weeks or so, we've talked so much about they're not beating anybody by a lot of points. You don't have to. It's not about style points. This isn't the BCS where it's like, oh, you know, they beat Arkansas Southern Mississippi State to the eastern side of the state. Like, it doesn't matter what the points were in the game. It matters that you get the win, and they've gotten all of the wins. They did just enough to be able to win these games. They look bored. We talked about this yesterday with Kerry Davis. On fourth and one in this, this weekend's game, they pitched the ball to Sammy Watkins and threw the ball over the top in the red zone to Patrick Mahomes. That was a fourth and one play. It's ridiculous. It's a, it's a dumb play to run, but they're bored. And so this is what the kind of thing that you get. I think they're going to make the Super Bowl. It's them versus the field in that conference. Basically. I like the bills. I like Josh Allen. It's a fun story. I don't think the bills and Josh Allen are going to beat Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid in a playoff game. I don't think that you're going to see the Miami dolphins coming into Casey and winning a playoff game. I'm still concerned about the Titans and Browns. I know everybody tells me I shouldn't be. I'm concerned about them, but I think ultimately the Chiefs get in. I don't know what to make of the NFC. I think it's completely wide open. I could see the Bucks, Seahawks, Saints, Packers, any of those teams making the Super Bowl out of the NFC, and it would not surprise yeah. me at this point. Let me ask you a question, uh, Rodgers and Mahomes. Is Mahomes okay with being the second-best quarterback in that conversation? All right, get out of here. <laughs> That's enough of you, Jeremy. That's Jr. Here on 101 ESPN, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. When it was BK, Ribs and BK, I got to be very clear here because I was the second name on that show. When it was Ribs and BK, we talked a lot with Jamie Rivers about the Cardinals potentially tanking. 
everybody loves what the Padres did yesterday. But are you willing to go through what they had to go through to get to what they did yesterday? We'll talk about it coming up on the other side on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. For most markets, you have very limited windows, right? There's the ebbs and flows to this thing. In the last decade, only three teams had a winning record every year. The Dodgers, the Yankees, the Cardinals. So don't tell me you're going to build a team competitive for 10 years. Tell me, like A.J. Perler, you've got a chance to win right now. Your franchise has never won a World Series. You go all in to try to win, not just to be a playoff team. So that's what they've done. He's had an unbelievable farm system. He tapped into that in the last five months to add to what they had, the, the nucleus they've had. That was Tom Verducci earlier today on MLB Network talking about the Padres and truly going all in on this winning window that they have in a similar way to what Doug Armstrong has done with the Blues. He said whenever they acquired Ryan O'Reilly, they are entering a five-year winning window, and they are right in the middle of that right now, and they're trying to do everything they can to take advantage of it. That's what the Padres are doing right now. I did find it interesting, though, from Tom Verducci, as you hear him coming back from break. He says there's only three teams over the last decade that have finished above 500 in every season. It's the Dodgers, it's the Yankees, and it's the Cardinals. The Dodgers and Yankees every year are able to do so because they are consistently at the minimum in the top three to four in terms of their spending. They're spending over $200 million every year. When you're spending that kind of money, it's very easy to raise your floor, right? You're going to be a 500 team because if you're not, my God, who did you spend on, right? The Cardinals are a little different. They're consistently between like eight and 13 or so in terms of the payroll in Major League Baseball out of the 30 teams. They're winning because they are really good at finding solid to above average major leaguers. They're as good as any team in baseball is at that. The problem is, in order to get these peak years, like what we're hoping to see, what we think that we're going to see from the Padres, what we have seen from the Dodgers and the Cubs, you got to have stars somewhere. You got to have stars in that lineup. And it doesn't matter to me where you find them. You can develop them. You can trade for them. You can sign them in free agency. You can find them internationally or in the draft. It does not matter to me where you find those players. But you got to get them. There's only so many ways to do so. And most of them either require you to go draft them and develop them or to spend money to go get them. Those are kind of the two main ways. And the Cardinals have done neither so far. So... I guess the question is, Jeremy, like, are you willing, if you're a Cardinals fan, to go through what the Padres just went through? Because that's one route to be able to go get these guys. And if you're not, then the only other route that I can see that makes any sense for the Cardinals is to get a little uncomfortable and to, as we've been talking about so often, go into the plunge of a big-time player with a big-time contract. No, I'm not comfortable waiting as long as it took the Padres to get to this point, to be a team that could contend, not could contend, but uh, be among the, the top contenders next year and probably for the next couple years. But listen, I think that if you look at this Cardinals situation, uh, yeah, they're right up there with uh, the, the Yankees in, in terms of success the last however many years you said. Decade, yeah. Yeah, last decade. And they don't spend that type of money. But to say that their only alternative route is to go like the Padres went, I just don't see that. Because to me, it all comes down to personnel decisions and the contracts that you give out and the 
the the deals that you make. And so you look at a, a carpenter contract, don't need to beat it to death, but uh, shouldn't have got it, right? You you look at a trade, Randy A, hey, stuff happens. You you, you make a trade that you later regret. It happens. Um, you uh, you know Dexter Fowler maybe didn't turn out exactly. It hasn't been, certainly hasn't been horrible. But to me, whatever the Cardinals' payroll is, ten to thirteenth in the league, they were successful for all those ten years because they made good decisions in the past. And and I think that led to um, success with a, a payroll that wasn't what the Yankees are spending. So I think with with them, they haven't hit on as many decisions as they have in the past. And therefore, I don't think they need to go into a mode like the Padres where you stink for five or six years and build it up. Yes, it works. Yes, it takes time. And, and yes, you'll probably come out of it looking really good. But I don't think the patience is here in St. Louis. And, and I don't think it has to be. I think that uh, with better decision making on a lot of the things that I just mentioned, you can still have a quality team and, and maintain that consistency. I looked up earlier today, JR. I went through the last, so since 2015, who the top 10 prospects were going into each individual season for the Cardinals, right? And so let's let's focus on the top five because those are more the quote-unquote elite prospects for the Cardinals, right? So I wanted to find out, okay, what happened to the prospects? What happened to the guys that were supposed to be really good players eventually for the Cardinals, right? Because it doesn't, it doesn't feel like they've really amounted to a ton once they get to the big leagues. So here are the position players since 2015 that have ranked inside of the top five prospects in the system going into any given year. Okay, since then. Steven Piscotty in 2015 was the Cardinals' top-rated prospect. We know the story there. There were no other position players in the top five. All the rest were pitchers. Marco Gonzalez, Alex Reyes, Jack Flaherty, Rob Kaminsky. The next year, the only uh, position player that was among the Cardinals' top five prospects, Mag Sierra. He was traded down to Miami as part of the Marcelo Zuna trade. The next year, the top five, if you're looking at the position players, prospects-wise, Delvin Perez, who has amounted to nothing at this point, Carson Kelly, who was traded to the Diamondbacks in, in the trade for Paul Goldschmidt, and then Mag Sierra was once again part of that top five. Going on further, Carson Kelly again, Mag Sierra again. Those are the only two position players. Next year, Nolan Gorman, Andrew Kisner, who's now the backup catcher for you, and Eluaris Montero as well, who is kind of stuck at third base right now. He hasn't really amounted to a ton, though. And then going into this year, it was Dylan Carlson, Nolan Gorman, and Yvonne Herrera, the catching prospect. They just haven't had a lot of really high-level prospects that are position players. They've, they've developed all of these pitchers, and that's almost by design. When you go back and look at who the prospects have been over the last five years, they've been really good at finding, uh, acquiring, and developing that pitching. And it, it appears when you look at those lists, that was by design, that was the plan, was for them to have really good pitching, and they do. Now, if they can flip that, if they can, but this is going to take time, over the next few years, start acquiring, whether it be draft or international markets, those position players that have that high-end talent and then develop them throughout the system, that's how you get on that Padres level. You don't have to tank to be able to get that, but you've got to find the talent. It's out there, and you've got to find it. They just haven't done a very good job, as you're mentioning, JR, in recent years of actually finding it and getting it into their system. They yeah. haven't had that high-level talent. And I realize if the focus in the draft is the pitching, and certainly they've done a tremendous job with that, it's going to be difficult with later picks to try to find those position players to come up. But all those names that, that you mentioned, you mentioned what happened to them since then. A few of them 
have been traded. Yeah, in, in most big, of them in big deals. Most of them, which is great because you know uh, they're assets that uh, the GM can use and, and bring in a, a Paul Goldschmidt. But at the same time, I haven't heard anything about any of those guys in their new organizations. Yep. So you get to a point where you know, are you really drafting the right people? Which kind of goes back and, and proves my point that that uh, you have a situation where if you're not doing it in the draft, if you're not making trades that benefit you, uh, in fact, in the Randy A trade, you're 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 losing out on that one. All that stuff cumulatively comes together and puts you in the situation where you are. So I see no need for a St. Louis Cardinals franchise that has been a model of consistency to be in a situation where you're scraping for five or six years trying to build that. And and I think that uh, the consistency and the decision-making for years and years and years is, is what we've become accustomed to here in this town. And, and I think that's why uh, for the past five or six years, BK, you've seen just so much – uh, second guessing so much. Let's just use the word outrage over how they've operated. Yeah, over the just kind of going back to your point on the the positional player side at the first round pick since 2012, when this um, current administration became the front office officially, the only position players that they've drafted in the first round 2012 they drafted James Ramsey, an outfielder. They also drafted with a comp pick that year, Stephen Biscotti turned out okay. And Patrick Wisdom, who really never amounted to anything. Um, in 2015, they drafted Nick Plummer, who's really done nothing. 2016, it was Delvin Perez. I liked the pick at the time. It just hasn't worked out. They had 2016 Dylan Carlson, 2018 Nolan Gorman, who's now one of your top prospects, and there's hope for him. And then this year, finally drafted Jordan Walker. So you can see there has been... There's been a shift over the last four years. Carlson, Gorman, and Jordan Walker, a, a power-hitting third baseman, corner outfielder potentially for the Cardinals. It just it, it takes time. When you're going this route, when you are trying to build from within and with the draft, you, you've seen this in the NHL. I mean, how long have we talked about Jordan Cairo now? He's drafted in, what, 2016? Yeah. It, it takes some time for these guys to officially get to the big leagues and then have success in the big leagues. So if, you're, if that's what you're counting on – it's going to take a while. Um, and, and the only other alternative there really to be able to get that talent, you trade for it somewhere else. Somebody else has developed it and you're able to bring it into the system like the Padres did with Francisco, um, uh, excuse me, Tatis Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., or you, you go pay for it. Right. You go pay for it the way that they did with Manny Machado. You know, BK, and you just rattled off what the last four or five, mm -hmm. six drafts uh, for the Cardinals. And, you know, it's not a coincidence that uh, the guys who sound like uh, they could really help are the most recent guys. And that's because we don't know about exactly. them yet. <laughs> that's They're just, the ones that still have that fresh prospect yeah, exactly. smell to them. You know, in, in four years, we could be talking about one of these situations just like uh, Piscotti. Hey, looked pretty good, signed into the contract. You know, didn't work out. Obviously, he had different circumstances why they moved him, but uh, you, you just don't know about these guys yet. Yeah, it's six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line to get involved in the show. Um, it it it's a tough spot because they they have to continue being successful. They they're not going to spend at the same rate as the Dodgers or the Yankees. Um, they, so you're not going to spend that way. You're not going to tank. And yeah, you want to be able to compete for a World Series every year. It's a really, really tight needle to be able to thread. And that's what John Mosellock's job is. I, I don't envy him, but they are getting to those. They're getting to a difficult spot where eventually they're going to have to pick some kind of a direction, I do think. And I, I think they're going to pick the direction of spending for it. And I think the time to do so is next year. Pick the direction of making good decisions.
I like that direction as well. He's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything on today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page on 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. It is all brought to you by I Promise. Had Tony Gwynn Jr. on earlier today talking about the Padres. He was fantastic. Also, Randy Moeller, who said that he thinks that the Mike Hoffman, Ryan O'Reilly pairing could be a match made in heaven. So check that out on the podcast page. 101ESPN.com is where you find it. Crossing things over, Anthony Stalter's in studio. What's going on, man? I heard you've been beating me up. No, I would never do such a thing. I just disagreed with one of your opinions yesterday, and that's perfectly fine. Disagreed? Okay, well, first of all, lines can why, disagree. Did, why didn't you include this in the recap? Okay, Randy Moeller said this. Also, I said I strongly disagree with Anthony Stalter on every premise he ever made. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's <laughs> every not true. Every take, every opinion he ever had. So, Stoltz yesterday kind of set this up, what, what I disagreed with said that he thinks that the Cardinals need to build their core before they can get to where the Padres were yesterday. I, first of all, agree with that portion of it. The place where I disagree with, and maybe it's kind of a fine point here, I think they have built the core. Paul Goldschmidt, Paul DeYoung, Dylan Carlson, um, Jack Flaherty. I think that's basically the core that you're trying to build around right now. And if you're not, well, then what are we doing here with Paul Goldschmidt? He's 33 years old coming up, and he has four years left on his deal. Eventually, you're going to want to win with him, I would think at least. So if that is your core, and they would at least tend to believe that it is, well, then now, either right now or next offseason is actually the time, in my opinion, to go make that big move. The way that the Padres did, I, I think it's more similar to what they did with Manny Machado than it is what they did yesterday, because the Cardinals don't need the pitching. So this is the time here in the next calendar year or so to go make that Machado move. I don't know who the guy's going to be. There are plenty of options out there. But to me, this is the time to do that because I do think they've actually built their core. So you're right. That is where you and I disagree the most. I don't think that we can include Dylan Carlson, who we, who we don't know about, and Paul DeYoung. If Paul DeYoung is one of your core four, you don't, you don't have a strong enough core yet. You it's don't not have a core. Absolutely. That's and that was my take yesterday. So you illustrated that correctly. Sure. I said, look, I use the the tired old analogy of building the house. We always concentrate on the Manny Machado signing or the Ryan O'Reilly trade or the Mookie Betts trade. We talk about you know building that that kitchen when we're standing on concrete that is falling apart beneath us. But we, we want to discuss the big move as opposed to what led to the big move. The Dodgers are a better example than the Padres. And a lot of people on Twitter are like, hey, the Padres acquired their core. Fair enough. But they acquired the core by giving up James Shields for Tatis Jr. because mm-hmm. he was with the White Sox. 
And a lot well, of Tatis was really young too. So they, they identified him as a potential really big piece, and they ultimately developed him basically in their system. And that's the bigger that's the bigger point. And look, people, when I start to talk about you know the Cardinals are saying, you're like a lot of people are like you don't want them to spend, you don't want them to make moves. You're a Cardinal defender. No, I want them to scout better. Yeah, it's not just about drafting. Right. It's about finding the Tatis Jr. or the Justin Turner or the Max Muncie. That's what the Dodgers did. We want to talk about the Dodgers acquiring Mookie Betts. Okay. They drafted Cody Bellinger in the second round. They draft the Cardinals always draft in the 20s. They need to tank. Dodgers drafted Will Smith late. 32nd overall Walker pick Bueller. in the first round. Walker Bueller was 24, I believe. The they drafted incredibly well. The Padres have drafted incredibly well to get to the point to do what? Make a big trade, like make two big trades like they did yesterday, and feel as though that they're not completely ter- tearing down their farm system to add to their current roster. That's my point. But we can all agree that the Cardinals need to scout better. They need to fleece somebody, like the Rays picked their pocket. They the Dodgers, the way that they were able to recognize what Justin Turner was when the Pirates didn't know what they had, and what and Max Muncie when the A's didn't know what they had. It's it's all encompassing. It's not just they need to draft better. They need to scout better overall. Well, and my biggest point, uh, BK, is this: uh, when you name the four foundation guys, four core guys, and and then the response is, well, if they're not, then what are we doing with Goldschmidt? I get it, but the Goldschmidt situation, his contract now he's getting up there a little bit in age, doesn't make those guys any better core guys. It, it doesn't say, okay, well, you know, those have to be your core guys. And uh, you know, if if Goldschmidt is getting older and leaves, then what does that say about your core? Those players who we talked about are who they are. They're not any better because the Cardinals need to speed up their timeline because of Goldschmidt. So I just don't see that core there. To me, D- Dylan Carlson, a lot of you know uh, hype there in terms of what kind of player he can be, and maybe he will be that guy, but let's just uh, make him the equivalent of Jordan Cairo right now. The Blues aren't trying to build around Jordan Cairo. You know, they, they have other guys you know, that have been here for a while who just won them a cup. You know, apples and oranges a little bit in terms of where the two organizations are right now. Uh, but to me, when I look at uh, the Cardinals' core, you know, I, I'll go along with two of those guys, you know, but not all four of them. You have to bet eventually. You have to make a big bet. Yeah, and yeah. the Cubs did it with their young core, and, and it was it's different. It's it's like you said, it's 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 not apples to apples, but the Cubs saw they had a wave, and they built differently, right? The Royals built the same way that the car the Cubs did, where you're tanking, and then you've got guys that are all coming up at the same time. They're all in the same timeline, and now we're seeing what the end result is of the Cubs, just as we had seen what it was for the Royals. Eventually, you have to make a bet on when it is your time to win. And I do think, you you mentioned you don't want to go all in on on this core group if you're not sure about it. Well, I mean, Jack Flaherty has like two years left probably with the Cardinals, most likely. Paul Goldschmidt probably two years left in his his prime that you're going to have left with the Cardinals. You've got Dakota Hudson, who won't be there this year, but should be back in the rotation next year. You've got a pretty good core of your your pitching right now with Reyes and Liberatore and Thompson, all these different guys that you feel like you are building around. you got to make your bet on that, man. You are a pitching and defense team. That's what this team's identity has been for years. And I do think if you add... Whoever your favorite guy is next year, whether it be Seager or Story or whoever it is, maybe it's even Arenado. I don't care who you you want. Those guys make the players around them better as well. 
when you've got that massive bat in the middle of the order, I do think that helps Paul DeYoung. I do think it helps Dylan Carlson, so there's not quite as much pressure on him going into next season. So you add all of that up, I think this is the time for them to do it. I also... I think the other place that I disagree with some people on, I don't know if this is the case with the two of you, I don't think they're that far away. I think they're the favorite in the NL Central this year without adding anything. I think they're going to win like 90 games. I think they're a pretty good team already. And if you add a stud, Mookie Betts, uh, Seager, these types of guys, that's where you're able to put yourself over the top. And now you get into the conversation with these other contenders. So that that's where I'm at on them. I understand that there are totally reasonable minds that can disagree on all of this. The one place that we can absolutely agree on, they got to scout better. They got to scout yeah. better. They got to do a better job. We went through some of the top five prospects they've had since 2015. Very few of them position-wise have amounted to much of anything, not only for the Cardinals, but when they traded them elsewhere. That's a problem. That's yeah. a problem. Eventually, you got to get more from the guys that are cost-controlled, cheap, that's the way that this team contends consistently, and they haven't done a good enough job of that in recent years. No, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And, and real quick on this, because people were talking about you know the Padres and things like that, and they're yeah. like, well, they acquired their core. They were able to acquire Will Myers by giving up who? Anybody? Uh, Hunter Renfro? Was that the deal for him? Trey Turner. Oh, Trey, yeah. Yeah. Who's yeah. playing shortstop Pretty good. for the Nationals. It was a three-team deal. That was the key. That was the key piece. Do the Cardinals right now have anybody in their farm system that they're willing to give up to acquire what they think is a is a decent bat. This is why, to me, it all comes back to your ability to draft well and consistently. And to your point, BK, the Cardinals haven't done that. And they got to do it better in the international market, too. That's where the Padres have really Absolutely. made their A. They've spent money there like almost no other team not named the White Sox. What's coming up today on the fast lane, man? Well, we're going to tear apart because Fantastic. you came after me. <laughs> Can I stay? So JR is going to stay with us for a little while. No, we got Craig Berube coming up oh, at 2.15. Oh, nice. Yeah, so we'll talk, to, we'll talk to the coach about possibly Mike Hoffman being Maybe. added. We'll also talk to him about uh, the power play, certainly getting even even better now, and a variety of other things with, with the Chief. Looking forward to that. Appreciate JR yeah. stepping in with us today. Fun we'll to have Mark here. Saxon tomorrow. Plenty of Cardinals talk Saxon. with him. For Jeremy Rutherford and Luke Clevenger, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll see you tomorrow at 11. Fast Lane's coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.